those younger listeners who are thinking to themselves, what is that awesome funky tune? It's the opening theme music from the 1970s Amazing Spider-Man TV show. Anyway, welcome back to the Film 89 podcast. I'm Richie. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, fellow podcasts, I'm out attraction and back in action. It's your old buddy, Neil Gaskin. And I'm Sky. (laughs) And we're three of the co-founders of Film89.co.uk. And the Marvel Dream Team are finally back together to give you our in-depth analysis and review of Sony Pictures and Marvel Studios' Spider-Man No Way Home. We often forget to give you spoiler warnings, but not this time. Spider-Man No Way Home is a film that you certainly don't want spoiled for you, and we'll be going all in on the spoilers. If you've got any desire or intention of seeing it, turn us off, go see the film, and then come back to us. So, gents, we've not really covered much of the MCU stuff of late for um, various reasons. What were your expectations going into this third Sony slash MCU Spider-Man film? i got to be honest, after the sort of, I've almost had the last sort of 12 months where I've been saying Endgame was probably the appropriate title for the MCU for me, because pretty much everything that came after it, and I know there was a second Spider-Man film after it, which to me, the Spidey films kind of exist in their own little universe away from the MCU, although he interacts with the uh, the Avengers quite a lot. The MCU as a whole, it kills me to say, but I've been very disappointed with throughout the sort of Disney Plus stuff that we've had, the subsequent movies. I've still yet to see The Eternals. I've spent the last couple of months in a cast with, in a, with a cast on my leg, so mobility's been an issue. I've seen Shang-Chi, but again, that was when it came on Disney Plus. Going into this, I gotta be honest, I had sort of had, for the first time in ages, a little bit of excitement about seeing an MCU property again. In prep for this, I went back and I listened to our Spider-Man Far From Home episode, which was, crikey, that was 2019 now. We gave that a score of 9 out of 10. And listening to, you know, our enthusiasm about that film two plus years ago, nearly two and a half years ago now, that kind of got me a bit more geared up for this film, because, like you, Neil, of late, I have just not been particularly enamoured with the MCU stuff we've got via Disney Plus. As a rule, the three of us would religiously cover any MCU property in an episode on the podcast. We've just not done that for various reasons. Some of them because of the fact that we just haven't been able to, because of personal reasons and and injuries and illnesses and and (laughs) God knows what. But there's also the main sort of element of that is just the fact that we have had better things to discuss and other things that have piqued our interest more because unfortunately like you say Neil we have seen a little bit of a of a sharp decline in the quality of uh, the output from Marvel Studios stuff but like you I also consider these Sony Marvel Studios co-productions kind of in a little side pocket to themselves. So just based on the fact that looking at this as, yes, it is part of the MCU, but also the third part of a trilogy. Yeah, I was a little bit more kind of geared up for this than I have been uh, a lot of the other Marvel Studios stuff of late. So yeah, um, go and certainly going into it, like the hours and days leading up to it, I was pretty much very geared up. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's quite a strange one, really, isn't it? Because, like you say, Tom Holland's version of Spider-Man plays quite a major sort of role. And if you look at even, like, his first film, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. had more than a sort of cameo with that. But I always sort of view him as almost like a sort of guest star in any sort of MCU stuff. It's quite strange. <laughs> like, like, if you look at, like, Infinity War, especially... You know, he's quite a major part in that film, but it's like, oh, I'm featuring Spider-Man. You know, I always sort of kind of separate him a little bit from the MCU, which is quite weird. Mm. Yeah, but it's because, it's, I think a lot of it is because of the fact that Spider-Man has been so separate for so long, hasn't it? He? he was the first sort of franchise then. I mean, not, not not including Blade and what have you, but the first kind of mainstream 
PG-13, 12A sort of franchise that existed. And Sam Raimi's films were, you know, very well received in the main, albeit Spider-Man 3 less so. But then, you know, you had then the this, the background stories, the the stuff that went on behind the scenes, which which led to Spider-Man 4 faltering. And then I, th- I think we'd all agree we're, we're certainly far from amazing. And then ending as Amazing Spider-Man 2. And all of the stuff that's gone on with the behind the scenes politics and the story and the, is Spider-Man going to be, he's, he's in the MCU, he's out of the MCU, he's a last minute addition to Civil War and all this sort of stuff. So it's very much in our consciousness of how how separate an entity Spider-Man actually is. It's almost difficult to gauge exactly how much of a sort of guiding hand and control, then, I guess, that Kevin Feige and, and, and Marvel and Disney have over this Sony franchise. Hmm. I was thinking about it last night, because I, I went to watch the, the movie last night with my son, who's now like 15, and his introduction to the superhero genre were the Raimi films. But you're probably talking, he was probably five or six when he was watching the Raimi films with me. When he got a little bit older, we had the amazing Spider-Man movies, which at the time I think he just kind of enjoyed because, oh, it's Spider-Man. But now he sort of looks on him, you know, in the, in the sort of view that most people do. But I can remember then when uh, Civil War came out, he was almost like aghast that Spider-Man was part of Marvel. It was almost as if he viewed Spider-Man because he sort of taken on the MCU sort of films then just by, I suppose, by hypnosis with me coming to the cinema with me all the time. But it was almost like, wow, and Spider-Man's actually going to be there with the Avengers. That was quite a big thing for him. Like, you know, because like I say, he'd always viewed it as a separate sort of entity. Mm. It was a big thing for all of us, though, I think, wasn't it? Any of us that had followed it from the outset, when you think of the early origins of the MCU with Iron Man and Incredible Hulk, you know, there's similar, perhaps not as not as in-depth a story, but similar story with Hulk. You know, obviously the, the rights, the distribution rights owned by Universal and what have you. And it was one of those things that, you know, we'd seen the lower characters, as we've discussed before. You know, they were all kind of B-grade, C-grade Marvel characters that were brought in to forge the Avengers. You know, then for Spider-Man to, to be part of it, it was it was a big deal. And I can remember us kind of really keen to see the initial trailer and the footage and, and everything, just to see how they were going to do it. And, and I think we all agree that it felt from the outset, they absolutely nailed We've always gone on about how well Marvel cast films. You know, there's no better example, in my opinion, of of Tom Holland and how well, considering the baggage that goes with that character and everything that's come before and the focus and attention that was on it, he just took that part and ran with it. And and we all accepted him straight away. We we have to remember as well, it was quite a late addition to Civil War as well. I mean, a lot of the Spidey stuff was late reshoots because they were still ongoing. So it was done, you know, I mean, I, I remember watching an interview with Holland and he was saying he went for a sort of casting call for it and it just didn't think he got it. And then when he actually got the part, it was like, oh, and you're filming next week. Yeah. I, I remember we had a bit of trepidation, didn't we, when he was put into Civil War because it, it wasn't like a solid permanent deal. And we thought at any point that could fall through and it nearly did, didn't it, later on? You know, there were trouble between Sony and Marvel when, you know, the deal was looking to fall apart. And we thought, well, crikey, you know, they've established some uncertainty hanging over it. And the fact that, look at us now, five years on after Civil War, and now we're getting this film five years on and everything is still kind of um, all, all nice and pleasant and, and cosy between Marvel Studios and, and Sony Pictures. But far from home came out. Yeah. That was when, that was the last film in that, in that deal, wasn't it? That was when talks broke down and it mm. was announced this is the end of spider-man and the mcu spider-man will go on on his own it could be tom holland it could not but as far as sony and, and marvel were concerned marvel were wanting x amount x amount of control x amount of money what what have you sony was saying no uh, and we i can i can't remember what episode we were talking about it but we were discussing at the time and saying are sony getting a bit big for their boots here because you know our view was that sony you know have, have stumbled and stumbled and stumbled and then the minute that they're involved with mcu they get successes and and now yeah. they're kind of 
pulling away thinking they can go on their own and we were very sort of you know hesitant about it because straight away off the bat there was the, they were talking again of Sinister, Sinister Six Morbius uh, Venom and all this sort of stuff and, and all of a sudden it felt like well they've had a couple of hits alongside Marvel Studios and all of a sudden now they think that that, that everything is rosy and they can you know they fixed all the problems of before and we were, I remember us sort of saying this is this is fraught with sort of danger and trepidation and then what was it must have been about three months i think then it was back you know they, they just ironed out all the problems and 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 we were back and they were planning um no way home mm. sony in all fairness to them across the board even stuff away from the the outright you know mcu sony sort of collaborations look how well they did with the first venom film and then again this year with venom 2 but then that first venom film for venom film that was an accidental success wasn't it I don't know. Are they going to even look at it that way? A success is a success. If it's a financial success for them, then they've they've won. They they've done all they set out to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they that they necessarily have it nailed. As in, they can go away and guarantee a hit. No. And it was and it was kind of and I think again that was you know that was part of our conversation as well. It was like you know just just hang on a minute. You, you, Venom cost you X amount and it's done a hell of a lot better than what you expected and people have yeah. gone along. But no one is claiming it to be of the, anywhere near the standard of the of the gold star marvel films they, they've gone along and they've enjoyed it for what it is you know and the thought of a sequel and everything was kind of you know what are they going to do how you know we, we we didn't really we didn't think that a venom film could work outside of spider-man you know with no mm. with, with no acknowledgement of spider-man it did but can it work twice so when was it guys did we when did we first see the trailers for this film and and, and were kind of um given a part of the plot how long ago was that roughly it wasn't actually that long ago, was it? It was only a few months ago that we got... Back in the summer, the start of the summer, wasn't it? We're kind of almost sort of used to now getting sort of trailers and like teaser trailers for upcoming trailers. And but with this one, it seemed to be a long time coming, didn't it? And then all of a mm. sudden, and I think a lot of that obviously would have been down to the pandemic and there was possibilities that the film was going to be delayed and so that. And I don't think, I think a lot of film studios are probably using Bond now as the yeah. sort of template of not dissing the Bond trailers in any way, but, you know, that was just timing, unfortunately. Yeah. But I think a lot of studios now are looking at, you know, do we really want to give away too much hmm. too early when potentially we might have to delay this film for six months or even a year? Well, I've, so I've it seems to be quite close to there. I've just Googled it now and it's the 24th of August it dropped. Right. Lucky you, rich, you little factoid gatherer. <laughs> so that's, well, four, four months and before release. Yeah. yeah, which, like you say, is not a lot when you look at it. I mean, probably the same with the sort of new, the upcoming Matrix film as well. Yeah. You know, we were kind of used to, when you look at the sort of MCU father and the sort of big blockbusters, like, yeah, I suppose you'd have to put like Fast and Furious in that sort of category as well, of films of billion, you know, Star Wars as well, the films that are hitting the billion dollar mark. You know, it's nothing to really see a quite lengthy trailer twelve months before it's due for release, mm. is it? Yeah, no, you're right. So, you know, that those those first trailers, and I think wasn't it from the off that they showed us the fact that certainly Doctor Octopus, uh, you know, was in this. He was the main reveal, wasn't he, in the early trailers? I don't think yes. Green Goblin had been revealed, and certainly I don't think Electro had. No, it was it, it was just it was literally like sorry to cut you off there, Richard. It was just Doc Ock on over the yeah. first one. Yeah. They announced yeah. last Christmas, wasn't it? Last Christmas, it was confirmed that Doc Ock was was in it, uh, and Electro was in it. They confirmed that last year, or certainly Doc Ock was confirmed, and Jamie Fox was con- was confirmed. I did, they didn't yeah. say Electro, uh, and everyone jumped to the conclusion that it was going to be Electro. And then the first trailer, that first reveal was Doc Ock, and then we had one of the Green Goblin's ex- um, bombs. Um, that's right, of course it was. Yeah, of course, bridge, and that's all we had. 
and we had the yes. laugh, didn't we? And, and you know, and everyone was sort of going, mm, "Is that one of the foes laugh?" It sounds like yeah. one of the foes laugh, you know. That's like yeah. they want to, yeah. So it was like a little sort of teaser. I think it was, and I think it was literally about a month later we got pretty much sort of acknowledgement. Then we were going to get Electro, we were going to get Goblin as well, didn't we? Yeah. yeah, not jumping too far ahead then, but they they've done. I don't know if you, what you guys think, but I think they've done a reasonable job of balancing giving us enough or giving the general public enough in, in the trailers to sort of whet their appetite and get them to see the film, which is obviously the, the main purpose of a trailer. But then also there's a lot of stuff, having obviously now seen the film. I know there were leaks and there were strong rumours of certain appearances and things that we'll come to being in the film, but I don't think that, you know, the, the trailers and all the marketing on, on, on the part of Sony, I think they did a good job of giving enough to say, this is what this film is about. This is some of the stuff you're going to be seeing, but it was also a hell of a lot. I think they did a really good job of keeping a tight lid on. Thank God, because it is nice to have sat in a film and had my jaw just knocked down to the floor yeah. several times by things where I thought, okay, I thought this might happen, but then I'd also been told it wasn't going to happen, and now seeing it happen and being done as well as it is, boom, yeah, you've got me. They've actually, they've rewritten how to promote the film because they, they've got to give you something. They've got to give you, you know, and we all thought going into this film that it was going to be this, you know, initially we thought it was going to be the story of how is Spider-Man going to clear his name? How is Peter Parker going to clear his name? Yeah. Uh, so how is, how is Doc Ock figuring in this? And it kind of, we'd had obviously Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So we knew that there was going to be multiverse. And, and as, as we've said before, for the last sort of eight months or so, multiverse, 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 everything is building towards multiverse. So it was, you know, the minute the Doc Ock was coming in and it was confirmed he was reprising his version of Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2, we all knew that there was multiverse. You know, this this was this was being affected by the multiverse. And the assumptions were there, you know, the odd photo leaked of, of Andrew Garfield, Toby Maguire on set. And it would have been really, really, really easy for them to have just gone, okay, yeah, we are, you know? Because, yeah. because it wouldn't have made us want to watch the film less. But you've got Andrew Garfield consistently being asked in interviews whilst promoting his current film. Are you in it? And look, you know, trying to tease information out. And a couple of weeks ago, you know, he just said, I'm not in this film. You need to appreciate I'm not in this film. You'll you'll realise, you know, in December when it comes out, I am not in this film. Well, all that, you know, all the headlines after that was Andrew Garfield openly lies about being in Spider-Man. But all it was doing, of course, is just generating interest. And, you, oh, know, God, it's just, yeah. you know, like I say, it would have been so easy to have said, they're you know yeah they're in it it's, it's you know and, and have the posters and all yeah. that sort of stuff there's been strong rumors of the only dispute between uh marvel and sony being how much you reveal and depending on which which side of the internet you believe either marvel wanted to reveal that they were going to be x amount of actors reappearing yeah, or sony yeah. wanted to reveal and whichever one was sort of battling against the other one saying no we have to keep it secret and stuff like that Let's be honest, it's pro- it was probably the worst kept secret in the world. I mean, I'm not a betting man, but if you'd asked me to put money on whether I'd seen Maguire and Garfield in this film, I know which way I would bet it. But like Sky was saying, you still didn't know for sure, you know? Oh, no. <laughs> and it was still that sort of thing. I mean, I'll be honest, the opening sort of gambit with the, the sort of cameo, if you like, of uh, Charlie Cox's Daredevil, I mean, the internet's been rife. Everyone was, oh, you know, that's his arm, that's his shirt. You know, if you look in the trailer, you can see a glimpse of his stick there and stuff like that. Everyone was completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. He, still, but he still did appear. Yeah. But when he did appear, I sort of went, <gasps> like that. And yep. Zach sat next to me and went, Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. So to me, I'm going to equate every sort of appearance in this film that wasn't confirmed by a trailer as being a Christmas present. 
Yeah. When you're a kid, you ask for the bike or you ask, well, you ask for the Millennium Falcon or whatever for Christmas. You mm. don't know for sure you're going to get it, but you're pretty yeah. sure you're pretty sure you've been a good boy and you will get it. <laughs> Jerry. You know mean? yeah. And that's that's why I'm going to create this too. Is we're jumping way ahead now, but when we get the appearance of ever Spider Man, when we get the appearance of Daredevil, when we get the appearance of ever you know the lizard or whatever like that, so I kind of thought they were going to be in it. Yeah, they are, and it was still just as satisfying for me. Mm. So the the opening of the film, guys. Now, a lot of my favorite Marvel Studios films have got memorable openings. Infinity War, the way that opens. When when you, when you come into that from like the kind of like joyous kind of high of Thor Ragnarok, and then you've got this sort of dark ominous opening with that sort of muffled radio transmission with the Asgardian ship calling for help, and then you've got that opening to Endgame, the, you know the Hawkeye opening, which is just so good. This film directly following on from Far From Home. What did you guys think of of how you know? Let's like sort of condense it then. The sort of opening kind of 10, 15 minutes where it, it establishes things directly following in from Far From Home. I like the continuity of just carrying on straight away, like you say, the Ragnarok to Infinity War crossover is a perfect analogy there, mm-hmm. where you sort of end and you go, and then you just jump straight back into the action, you know. And it's yeah, for me that was that sort of almost confusion and sort of mass hysteria that was happening in the first five minutes of the film it was frenetic and it was great because it was like you were actually living it with those characters weren't you yeah yeah i'd agree with that probably my only borderline negative of this section is going to be that it seemed to be it was it was resolved very quickly and i don't feel that i understand how it was resolved no. I love the fact that it was Matt Murdock explaining that it was resolved because that was my first draw on the floor moment. And I loved, I loved Matt Murdock being in it. It felt like the massive cliffhanger that was Easter egged with J. Jonah Jameson at the end of Far From Home served sort of 10 minutes of the opening of this film. And it was kind of like, this story isn't enough for, for, for a whole film. We're just going to, we, we need to get on to the villains. We need, you know, and it just felt, it felt a bit rushed. I will give you a little bit of a reprise there, Rich. There are strong rumours that there were heavy reshoots on the beginning of this film due to filming delays and stuff because of the pandemic. There was supposed to be a court scene. There was supposed to be a court case. And by all accounts, uh, there's a deleted scene where the prosecution is actually She-Hulk. Oh, shit. So you would have had She-Hulk and Daredevil. There was supposed to be an introduction. I do agree with you with that, watching it coldly and looking at it that way. But I think because they've had to sort of rejig the schedule a little bit, perhaps they had to sort of rewrite a, a few scenes mm. and like you say to have charlie cox just turn up and just sort of be uh, matt murdoch straight away again it was great to see him but like you say it was almost like a sort of like and here's the exposition dump <laughs> yeah but i think that might explain it a little bit giving him a little bit of leeway there yeah but you know my, my like you rich right the main part of this film that i've got issue with and I, i'm gonna maybe come back to this a few times in this film i really do need to rewatch this film definitely Definitely want to see this film again. Going into it, I was not in the best frame of mind. I, I was full of a stinking cold as I still am. Coughing my guts up. Thank God it's not COVID. Already had that. But I wasn't in the best of states. And i got to be honest, my, my concentration levels were waning for various reasons throughout. But this, the opening, I was picking up on little editorial things which were kind of making me think, well, hang on. Do, do you recall, guys, the bit where we see him and it's almost like was it played out in the montage was it, was it something that was done as a, as a kind of new sort of thing of, of the aftermath of all this where he had that green sort of security paint thrown at him yeah yeah it was like, so yeah. We, we saw that happen didn't we and then we have a scene unrelated I think a scene with Peter Parker and then we have a scene afterwards where we see him in the suit covered in the green paint and it's like hang on how is this happening now because it's all we've already seen it happen a few minutes ago 
and I started to get the feeling that the, the editing was a little bit disjointed. And like you, Rich, I also wanted a bit more resolution as to how we come to the fact that yeah, it, when, they're not going to you know they're not going to lay any charges against you. And I also thought it was a bit strange that you was being investigated by damage control. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that at the time actually, and then it was only when I was reading afterwards. Surely it should have been someone like Homeland Security or you know, FBI, FBI, or FBI, FBI yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, or anyone. Interpol, because bearing in mind what happened happened in London, it seemed a little bit kind of shonky. Damage control would have been would have been Stark's sort of division, wouldn't it? Because that was and they literally are just damage control, aren't they? When there's collateral damage as a result of a fallout, obviously we saw them initially in Spider-Man: Homecoming after the Battle of New York when they swooped in and took over Vulture's work and took that off him. I agree completely with you on that, but I'm going to give him the caveat of how often do we see a, an MCU film. And like I say, it's something that I recently have been a little bit sort of critical of, where they're almost jangling the keys of, in the next film, you'll find out why Damage Control are the bad guys now. Because I, I know we've got Gwyneth Paltrow saying she doesn't want to do any more MCU stuff. She must be yeah. crazy, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. But it would have been nice to have had some resolution from why Stark Industries now is being sort of monitored by Damage Control and... You know, perhaps there's been some internal politics there. I don't know. Like, you know, perhaps they're going to write that into a later film. I don't know. But yeah, I do agree with you. It does seem strange. The, the, the whole sort of opening 10, 15 minutes or whatever it is, it, it may be longer, it may be shorter than that. The saving grace for me, the sort of was kind of slap across the face and, and got my attention was Charlie Cox turning up as Daredevil. Now, the three of us, we haven't really talked about him on, on the podcast before, have we? but we are big fans in general of the majority of the Marvel Netflix shows. They're not perfect, they're far from perfect. But we have long wanted these characters to be brought over into the MCU proper. And as things went on, that sort of gulf between those shows and this universe seemed to widen and widen to the point where we never thought it'd be any sort of resolve. We'd never see these characters in these films. And now we've got them. And that, for me, was just like, wow. They were active gasps from some of the audience in, in the show when I was in where people were like, oh my God, it's Daredevil. I wanted to rewind it because I wanted to so used to watching at home that I am now uh, yeah. because I because I gasped over what he was saying I needed to rewind it to hear what he mm. said because I was so you know what I'm like I love the Netflix shows for all of their flaws and and that's yeah. a, that's a bold statement to make but it's more that I love the I love the the act the characters and who they're portrayed by the series the individual series are very hit and miss and often hit and miss in in, in individual series there's lots of dips and what have you we yeah. talk about that another time but what i've wanted as, as someone who is a junkie for continuity and canon i have longed for more than oh the big green guy or the mention of what happened in new york in 2012 i, I wanted some definite positive link between those characters and the portrayals that we have and yeah. the MC you at large that we're used to. And that, it was so understated. There was no knock at the door and you see him. There was no kind of, oh, I've called this lawyer, hint, hint, wink, wink. It was just next scene and he sat at the table. And it, it, was, just, it was over as quick as it started. It was such a cool little, clearly he's got Spider-Man's attention in his ability to catch that brick that came through the window. And that, you know, I'm a really good lawyer line that he, that he mm. sort of finished it with. But it was just so understated and i wasn't left then thinking didn't it didn't leave me thinking oh he's going to suit up he's going to be with spider-man at the end he's going to this and the other that was enough for me just to say they're in you know five years of elapsed because of the blip and everything happened in 2012 so now we're looking at these characters maybe 10 12 years later so that's a very good point that's a very good point 
So they're, they're, they've moved on and they're, and they're quite different. You know, the potential quite different. And we don't need a huge amount of explanation. And I, that's all I needed. And, and, and that for me then, I, I was in it then. You know, I, I, I was, as I say, a little bit niggly over certain things right at the start. But the minute that happened, that was the first hook and I was away. That was it. That was the big hook for me. And from that point onwards then, I think this film started to go very much on an upward trajectory for me. What I'm going to say now is it's a conversation we had ages ago. I don't, I don't know if Rich was involved in it. No, I, actually it wasn't because it was on a separate group. It was um, on Twitter and it was me, you and our good friend Moose, uh, Moose Matson talking. And I said about fan service in um, a, pod- on a podcast. And I said, to me, when fan service is done right, yeah, and Moose just you know said it far more eloquently than me. He said, I completely agree with you. And he, the way he put it on Twitter was far better than the way I explained it. Fan service is a, is a sort of thing that's chucked around as being a negative thing. Yeah. Now, for me, fan service... If you're doing it in the wrong way, if you're just going, I know I haven't seen the new Ghostbusters, but I mean, there's been a lot of sort of criticism of that for so-called fan service and stuff like that. But, you know, for me, fan service, if you can do that little two-minute cameo of Charlie Cox turning up and it just fits into the film and that character works with the, the surroundings that are around him and everyone could go, wow, it's Charlie Cox's Daredevil. That is fan service done right. Yeah, And that's what I'm going to come to more and more as we go on about this conversation about this film it'd be quite easy just to go i'm gonna throw in blah 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 you know we could have had luke cage just walking down the street i'd love to see luke cage in the mcu god yeah you know he wasn't right for this time you know yeah. <laughs> you know so service fan service is at the expense of the plot isn't it it's, it's you know yeah. so like like we've said many times about cgi and what have you which when you're making a film based on fan service when everything is nods and easter eggs but actually when you take those things out once you've right. seen them the first time, once you've seen them the second time, they start to they might start to wane a little bit. You've got to fall it's, back on a decent story and a decent plot. And if that's fan, not it's there, a lightsaber and saying that's a story for a different time, that's fan service. Oh god! And, <laughs> and, 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 and this is the thing: in no way, shape, or form, shape or form, does this film do this? A hundred percent, no. He's cleared his name now, isn't he? He's, he's in, like, as far as the the actual uh, courts of law are concerned, they're not going to pre- you know, press charges against him. But then, as Daredevil says, now you've now got to face. How does he word it? The the court of public, public opinion, opinion yeah. Yeah, that's which, it. as we all know, in the world of Twitter and people being cancelled, I, I thought this was a really good social comment about cancel culture and about how vociferous and how venomous and rabid people can turn in the media and fueled by the media and social media against someone based on little or no evidence. Well, they kind of do it. They kind of do it with Joan Jana Jameson, didn't they? Because they've written yeah. him now to make him like the editor of a newspaper. Now would probably be a bit outdated. So of course, yeah, they've made him like the Alex Jones figure, haven't they? You know, the sort sure, of, of Infowars figure. But yeah, it was like you say, it was that sort of, although they didn't go down the cliched route of this is on Instagram or this is on Facebook or whatever, it was, wasn't it? It was like that sort of almost sort yeah. of social media and sort of internet sort of view. The Hannibal Burgess, the comedian, coming back as the sort of like um, the, the gym teacher, and he he was calling him a murderer. And the other yeah. te- the other teacher was saying he's a conspiracy theorist and stuff like I know, that. I know you did, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love Hannibal Burgess. Anyway, he's, he's like, brilliant. 
you know, I think that's the only little scene he pops up in this film, but, you know, it, it just show, goes to show in it how very quickly someone can be kind of turned on. And that's that's the one thing about this Spider-Man. I know it's kind of irked a few people, a few kind of, um, I'm not going to say hardcore, traditional, I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, traditional Spider-Man fans or fans of the traditional Spider-Man story as we're used to it, is the fact that Peter Parker is always seen as a kind of down on his luck. In many ways, of all the superheroes, one of life's victims. This version is very much because of the influence of Tony Stark had a lot of things gifted to him. Yeah. yeah. And he, in a, in a lot of ways, we haven't seen him kind of go through that hero's journey, isn't it, Neil, as, as like Joseph Conrad would, would say. I've never been critical of the Holland films. I've always enjoyed the Holland films. But the one criticism I've always seen is this isn't Spider-Man. This is Iron Lad, if you like, you know. And yeah. I, I can kind of understand why people are coming through there. But the way I've always looked at that is, I get what you're saying, but we've had of course we have two versions of Spider-Man yeah. in the last yeah. twenty years. So this this is a perfect Spider-Man for the times, isn't it? But that point, right? We'll stick a pin in that point because I I got something later on. We'll come back to that. Cool. Okay. So so then he clears his name, and then is, you've obviously got the issue then about the fact that Ned, MJ, and Peter don't get into MIT. So that then becomes the impetus for Peter to you know talk about breaking a walnut with a sledgehammer. He then goes to Doctor Strange with his request to kind of just wipe the memory of you know from the entire world that. Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And then in between that, we get the reveal when we first meet Doctor Strange and Wong about the fact that during Doctor Strange's time, you know, he's five years away from the Earth, Benedict Wong, who we've now confirmed didn't get blipped, he actually got promoted to Sorcerer Supreme. And again, you have to excuse my little blips in concentration during this film. For, for whatever reason, maybe it was a sneezing fit, a coughing fit or something like that. I did not pick up on that on first view. And I've actually since picked up on it in, in discussion with other people about the film. Yeah, well, it makes perfect sense, really. Yeah, his neck that he'd already given up, but yeah, it makes sense that there's still a, there's still a lot of magic and universal stuff that the Attagar, I suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what Stephen Strange has been doing in his time as the former Sorcerer Supreme now, but don't you think, guys, that he he's very eager to instead of sitting Peter down and saying, "Look, you're just going to accept, kid." The fact that you know life throws curveballs at you, and life is a roller coaster of ups and downs. And at the moment, you're very much on a down. But you're just one person; you're gonna have to deal with it. But he's like, no, I tell you what, yeah, we will try this spell that is going to affect the memories of the entire world. In the trailer, there's more of um, Wong is telling him no, and he winks at Peter, and a kind of it's, it's cut together different with some different lines in the trailer. Mm-hmm. So that he plays a bit softer there's less conflict between Wong and Strange in the actual film compared to what was in the trailer because I know that off the back of that and the what if episode it was flying around that perhaps this was the dark Strange we were seeing rather than our Strange but actually yeah it's kind of like is it because you know is he, is he aggrieved by the fact that that Wong is the Sorcerer Supreme and, and Wong is essentially you know massively sort of tied his wings and he well, just wants well to we be know he's, he's really arrogant because I'm going to throw a little curveball for you here you know with the position the strange is in at the moment, is it a case of he's got great power but no responsibility? Oh, of course it is. Because yeah, shit, trademark that one. <laughs> because trademark that. Like yeah, like you say, it's almost like an agreement between him and Wong. The Wong's in charge, but he's not really in charge. It's like, well, you, yeah, you carry yeah. out the admin duties. You do all this because if you look at Wong, he's back and forth through portals. And he's almost like stressed Eric, isn't he? He's like, yeah. oh, i got to do this, i got to do that. Then i got to go here, then i got to go there, then i got to do this, then i got to do that. 
And it's like strangers that are like, well, I'm really the Sorcerer Supreme, but right. due to admin issues, I can't do it. So you'll have to get on with that. Anyway, Peter, yeah. like, you, like Rich was saying, the difference between the sort of uh, the trailers, Strange and Spidey seem quite sort of almost like sort of master and student, didn't they? He was like sort of like a headmaster yeah. turn off a, a pupil. In this, it was more sort of presented in a way of you know we've been through a hell of a lot kid you know and you know i feel for you yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know for someone your age to have done what you've done and it's like he said you know we, we've saved we've saved half the universe you know you don't have to call me sir anymore <laughs> you know and i know we had the running joke of that still sounds weird but that's just Stephen strange being Stephen strange isn't it yeah yeah so then skipping ahead a bit a little bit of the, the sort of um typical spider-man family drama stuff you've got the fact that happy hogan and uh aunt, aunt may have broken up that broke and my then, heart as well mm, yeah see no again i thought the way that was played was a little bit too played for humor i was wanting more of a kind of infinity war sort of impending doom kind of tone to things and when you had these moments of humour, it kind of started to pull me back out of it. But then we end up on the freeway. And as soon as he's there going after this woman that is, is you know, kind of um, someone in MIT that's, able, that's potentially going to be able to get him and his friends accepted. And then we're on that freeway, which you've seen in the trailer. And at that point, I thought, okay, he's coming yeah. now. This is obviously after the spell has gone wrong. It's one of those moments where how cool would it have been if we'd gone into this film completely blind and had no idea. But we didn't. And that was never going to be the case. But let's talk about Alfred Molina as as Doc Ock. I, I I really can't give this guy credit enough. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen it around. There's like um, there's uh, like promo stuff going around, and there's uh, there's one interview in particular where you got Jamie Fox, Willem Dafoe, and Alfred Molina sort of sat there talking about returning to their roles. Yeah, and like both Fox and Dafoe sort of really go on about, like, it was important to me to come back. It was great. It was this and that. And then they get to believe me. He just goes, well, the money was good. <laughs> you know, I just did. And the, the other two are just pissing themselves laughing. And he's like, you know, the money, the money yeah. was great. And, you know, that's always a factor for me. And some actors do come back to things for money. But, my God, every scene that Alfred Molina, first of all, let's say how great they de-aged all those guys. Yeah. Particularly Molina. I- Will Defoe's kind of ageless and he's always looked that way, but yeah. particularly Melina. But every scene he was in, I was literally, and I don't want to sound like I love you or anything, I was captivated by him. Neil, you know, I, I, I've usually got quite a good eye for special effects and when they're being used. I was fooled countless times by this with the de-aging. I couldn't see the seams and maybe it's because I haven't seen any recent footage of Willem Defoe being interviewed or Alfred Molina, so maybe I've got less of a grip on how they look now. But I was just thinking, whatever they've done, they've got me, and I'm convinced. I think I thought they did a brilliant job of any de-aging. They're only de-aging 20 years. So, you know, 20 years, is it's not huge, but it's noticeable. Yeah. I think I think the difference is that, that you you know, I don't know what the last film was that you saw, saw Alfred Miller in. Well, that was, that was Spider-Man 2, 2004, so that was 17 yeah. years. And then... Yeah, well, if you look at that, guys, as a guide, and this is quite an accurate guide, we've all known each other roughly 17 years. Mm. Now the rich Richard Roberts that I first met is not the Richard Roberts I know now, and I, I know for definite the Neil Gaskin you first met is not the Neil Gaskin you know now. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying if if we were going to yeah, re- yeah. if we were going to replay the scene of when me and you first met, you looked about twelve, Rich. I mean, you look at least sixteen now. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Actually, you've got facial hair, so you can pass for 18. Now, if you had ID, I'd serve you. If you had a false ID, I'd serve you right now, Rich. 
I mean, I, I had a full head of hair when you first met me, Rich. <laughs> Glowing lot. Neil, Neil, I, I saw Rich last week and I said, Rich, what's with the beard? He said, I had a beard last time you saw me because he'd always be a fresh-faced little cherub in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> look, we're going hey, off sorry. point. Anyway, look, are we, Alfred Are we really Marino. going off point? Surely this is the crux of the conversation. <laughs> I think this is what everyone wants to know, Rich, is <laughs> for you and your facial hair. <laughs> Look, I'm going to say now, and this is going way beyond, you know, this is going way to the end of the film now, I think the way they've resolved a lot of stuff, most of the stuff, 99% of the stuff that they've taken on board and and made an effort to improve from other Spider-Man films has just worked like gangbusters in this film. And one of the things that they probably had the least effort and the least sort of uphill struggle with is going to be Alfred Molina as Doc yeah. Ock. He's one of the all-time great Spider-Man villains. Spider-Man 2 is one of the all great all-time great superhero films. I just love the fact as soon as he gets that faulty chip on the back of his neck replaced... He goes back to being the person he needs to be. That's right. And the fact that we don't get any sort of... Because I almost thought that it would have been a residual sort of thing of, yeah, I am actually thinking of for myself now, but I, I have become used to the fact they've got these voices in my head. And I thought, you know, they could have fallen back on that and had some sort of residual long-term effect, but they didn't. Because as soon as the voices are gone, he gets his own mind back. Yeah. And I love that. I, I, I've got to say that as well for, for Electro, because I think that Electro was probably the most disappointing Spider-Man villain of any of the films. Oh. You know, when Jamie Foxx yeah. coming into that, off like doing Ray and things like that, and it was kind of, for an actor with with chops, to then go in and do, to, to go in and do that, he was so, I can remember seeing interviews with him prior to the film coming out, and he was bigging it up, and, and you know, as obviously, you know, as paid to do, promoting the film and what have you. And then the minute mm. the film dropped, you know, it just became the kind of elephant in the room. And it was just so, yeah. and you could be forgiven. He would be forgiven the moment that his agent called and said, fancy doing a lecture again? Like you, 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 like, you wouldn't even get to the end of the sentence, the phone would be down. But this thing that, that my favorite word, the, my favorite word on this podcast over the last so 12, 18 months has been validation. And what is what yeah. they have done with, with the villains, Doc Ock didn't need it. No, the Doc Ock was a great villain anyway, wasn't he? Doc Ock is a perfect story. If you, yes. if we, if we're looking at Spider-Man films, and obviously we'll be giving this a rating later, you're going to be hard pushed to beat the second Raimi film. Yes, it's very It's a perfect superhero movie. It is. It is. He didn't need it. So, so the 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 danger for him doing it was that he was going to sully what had gone before. If we, we were going to, mm. you know, the only the really the only villain. I mean, Green Goblin is close, although I can't really remember because as many as I've watched them, I can't really remember his ending. I was reminded, obviously, of what happened in this film. But my 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 overarching memory from from the Raimi films is Doc Ock, I and mean, that's yeah. my favorite. One of my favorite elements of the Raimi films is is that. Um, everything else seems to have, have sort of paled into into insignificance. The only villain that that really sort of had the potential then to end on a negative w- was him. Because why why go back to something perfect when when really what can you do to it apart from mar it slightly? Whereas every other villain, and I'm probably going to chuck Goblin into this. Maybe they didn't do enough with him. I can't remember. But the the rest were improved, and no no more so than as I say, uh, Electro. Rich, I I think. Jamie Foxx's Electro in this film is, you know, this this film does a lot. I, I'm going to be hard pressed to find a film in recent memory that does as much out of the box stuff that this film yeah. does in such a memorable way. The, the sort of, like you've said, Neil, and I can't remember exactly how you put it, Neil. It was on one of the episodes as well that you've said this, but you said words along the lines of fan service when done right isn't a bad thing. It's giving the fans what they want, but it's doing it in a way that serves the story well. That's roughly what you've said to paraphrase it, yeah. 
for me, fan service, like you say, with Jamie Foxx coming back now, I mean, Jamie Foxx, tremendous actor. Oh, God, look at him in collateral. And let's be honest, a perfect. I don't know if you guys have ever seen him. I watched a Rogan podcast with him on it. He's a perfectionist at everything he does. Yeah. And the strange thing is, he's excellent at everything he does, but he's, yeah. his work yeah. ethic, he just commits to, if he's singing, if he's acting, if he's doing stand-up, if he's doing whatever, for that week, that month that he's doing that, that's, he lives that. And like, and like yeah. Rich was saying, when you see him in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I mean, I can remember when he sort of cast him thinking, you know, this could be like a Heath Ledger type performance, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. you watch the movie and you go, <laughs> Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm going to put all of that just down to poor filmmaking in The oh, Amazing Spider-Man yeah. 2. For me, it's, it's by far the weakest of any Spider-Man film I've seen. And I am going to include the Nicholas Hammond 1977 Spider-Man <laughs> and the, the, the Curse of the Chinese Dragon. Which, which I believe you saw in the cinema, Sky. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did. <laughs> I wasn't old enough, but you do it. You saw it. Yeah, I, look, it's, it's a bad film. Isn't there's no two ways about it? But I am now going to be able to go back and watch that film and think, yeah, for all this film's flaws, I'm now looking at this character as Electro and Andrew Garfield's Spider Man in a completely different light. Can I put my hand because up in the room? Because certain things to be validated. Yeah. Can I put my hand yeah. up in the room and just ask a question? Was Was he the same Electro? Yes. Because yeah, yes, because yes. because they said uh, I can't remember it was said uh, last time I saw you you had like a comb over and buck teeth and and they never really explained why he looked like Jamie Foxx who's going to be Mike Tyson in the upcoming Scorsese biography they've been talking through for the last ten years or whatever that could be Neil because by the point he gets to the point where he dies in that film he had kind of physically evolved into a, a more perfect version of right, himself okay. he's got this thing where he can kind of teleport uh you know it's, it's as if almost like his cells have got uh, have undergone some sort of you know change. i can understand what you're saying and if, if i thought long enough about it i could probably come up with similar sort of things but what i'm saying is did they ever explain her in the film no but i think the fact that it's their way in this film of, of explaining the fact that we're going to dump the way that he looked in the early parts of that film because it didn't do anyone any yeah. good it didn't make his character no, I was just I, I was just wondering if there was like a throwaway line because like, I can remember that being said, and I thought, okay, they're going to explain it, and they didn't explain it. And I thought, was was it like a throwaway line I missed somewhere? And I, I, not everything has to have an answer, not everything has to have an explanation. I was just wondering if I'd missed it. No, no, I don't no. think so. So then going right towards the end of it now, they've 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 taken a character that was right in the doldrums, that was really poor in the sort of pantheon of on-screen Spider-Man villains, and they've elevated him to a point now where he is respectable. And that is probably the biggest achievement this film has made. And this is a film that makes a lot of achievements and a lot of achievements that we never would have thought possible. You've also got the fact that Lizard mm. in the first Amazing Spider-Man film, again, really poorly done. I don't think they do much with him in this film. And he is very much a kind of sidelined villain out of the five that we but see. he's always kind of a weak villain anyway. I know I, I know if you read, yeah. there's probably hundreds of people who read comics now who are going to want to strangle me for saying that and stuff like that. I can remember years and years and years ago being wise before the event, me and you, when we probably know each other for a couple of years and we were driving somewhere and we saw the billboard for Spider-Man 3 and I said, it's just too many villains in that type thing. You know? Like, you did, I remember <laughs> you saying it. And I'm not going to be like, oh, I knew, because I didn't. <laughs> yeah, but I think you knew, Neil, by that point that there was going to be three villains yeah, in it. There was going to be... But, there was going to be... Um, Hobgoblin. Yeah, but Lizard could kind of fit into one of those type of films for me. He's not like a major yeah, player. He's not because he, uh, unfortunately, he's Kurt Connors and what he is trying to do is interesting. 
But then when he becomes Lizard, as a character, he's just not interested. Well, it's sort of, a very they, strange they, choice for the first main villain as well, wasn't it? It was just... Well, they, they, they teased yeah, it, it for so long with the Raimi films, didn't they? You know, where you had... I can't remember mm. the actor's name now, but he was like Peter's uh, science tutor or whatever. The professor, professor, yeah. And they teased it for so long, didn't they? You mm. thought, well, that, that, that will have some sort of semblance of who Kirk Connors is. And then to do that with... Gar- again, you know, what we were saying earlier, Garfield didn't get a fair shake by any stretch. I mean, you see him in other stuff. It's not that the guy can't act. I don't know whether he was directed wrong to be Peter Parker. He was too cool for school, basically, wasn't he? You know, they didn't really give him a fighting chance. It wasn't as if they went, we're going to reboot Spider-Man. We're going to have the Goblin back. Or we're going to put him against Venom. Yeah. We're going to do Venom properly this time. They were like, oh, I'll put him in with the Lizard. Oh, really? <laughs> it's it's yeah. kind of a, kind yeah. of a non-title fight, that one, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Well, hey, Neil, you could argue the same thing about Batman Begins with Scarecrow. Yeah, yeah. But with what the tone that film is trying to strike and bringing things more down to earth, I think Scarecrow did work in that film. On paper, initially, we were all a bit sort of like, really? That's who they're going with? But that kind of worked. Whereas, yeah, in the first Amazing Spider-Man film, I don't think it worked with Lizard. And then you got in the second one with Electro, that was poorly done. Well, again, again when you say with Scarecrow, yeah, it was Scarecrow, but it was sort of Scarecrow and Raz al Ghul, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Course, sorry, so if, yeah, of course, sorry, yeah. If you've done yeah. Lizard and Electro, I'd have gone, yeah. all right, <laughs> you know, type of thing. Yeah. But no, it, was, it was great to see Reese Evans back as well because, like, all the way through that, I was thinking, I was quite impressed that they didn't really need to have Thomas Hayden Church be Sandman again. No. They didn't really need to have Reese Evans be Lizard again. And all the way through, I was thinking, well, okay, they probably phoned him up, like Reese Evans, they probably phoned him up in a uh, studio in London or something, and he recorded the lines and he was there for an afternoon. And then towards the end, it was quite nice. I know I'm jumping way ahead. It was quite nice just to see that little glimpse of, oh, they actually got him on set for the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually met him once in a coffee shop and we had a brief chat. Well, not name dropping, but we were, myself and Reese Evans was at the same agent. But there we are. That's a, different, that's a story for another time. That is a story <laughs> for another time. <laughs> <laughs> and his uh, twin town co-star, Leah Evans. Nice, nice chat yes. to pair of them. So, obviously, the bit we're forgetting is the fact that Spider-Man and Strange have a bit of a set to, and Spider-Man ends up trapping Strange in one of his own sort of mirror pocket dimensions. I love that. I thought it was really great. It was a great sort of callback to that. That was pure Steve Ditko magic. Yeah, that sort of Ditko magic you had in the the first Strange film. It was so good. Yeah. Yeah. And it needed to be there. It needed to be there, I think. Yeah. I mean, at that point, that was quite the bizarre thing. When spies go in and, you know, strangers like chucking portals out and he's coming back and stuff, stuff like that, you just kind of think, any second now, Peter's going to, spidey senses are going to click to this. They're going to work out what he's doing. They, you know, he's going to know that portal's going to be there. And he's, instead of going left, he's going to go right and he'll fool him. And it was that yeah, sort of yeah. brief interlude when he took Peter out of his body and his soul was sort of floating above, but he still couldn't grab that box because the spidey senses in Peter were still moving the box away. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, that's quite clever, like, you know. But I was like, any second now, he's, you know, Peter's going to sort of anticipate what Strange is going to do before Strange can cast that spell. If you look at spidey yeah. senses as they work, he would actually, after a while, formulate, right, I know you're going to do something, so I'm going to move left instead of right. But when you take him into that mirror dimension, all bets are off then, aren't they? Sure, yeah. And talking about when we first see Strange, just in case we forget to mention, I've got to say, Michael G. Keep Michael. I can't Michael even say Fox. Michael Giacchino's score, right? <laughs> mm. He did the score for this. He also did the score for Doctor Strange. So when he's dropping his own music from Doctor Strange subtly back into this film, and then later on in the film, we're also getting musical callbacks to the Raimi films and the Andrew Garfield yeah. films. It is one of the things where I cannot wait to rewatch this film yeah. because. 
I want to pay more attention to the little details so like that. Rich. The stuff that is subtle, and there was little musical cues that I definitely picked up on first viewing, but I know there's going to be a load more that I didn't. I think the last, I think the last time anyone did that was was it Zimmer did it with um, the Justice League film? I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. We sort of dropped Elfman, dropped Elfman's tune into there for Batman, didn't he? A little sort of hint of that, yeah. little hint of um, uh, the Superman tune and stuff like that. The original yeah. Superman tune and stuff like that. But it was like you say, it was subtle, but yeah, it was certain points where I was like, really? Oh, okay. And then before you looked, this thing was gone, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. One little thing that happens then is when Ned ends up taking Doctor Strange's teleportation ring. And then it gets established the fact that Ned has got the ability or these magical abilities to use that teleportation ring. Were you guys happy with I, that? It didn't bother me as such. It was it's part of me that wants to be really nerdy and say, well, Strange had to study for X amount of years to do this. And like Wong was sort of almost inherited it by birth and stuff like that. But there was another part of me. It was like, mm, you know, that kind of everyone's got a bit of magic in them, you know. And I'll, I'll give that a bit. I'll give that a break. If if we were talking about a film that had lots of flaws, this would annoy a lot more. But it was kind of, mm. I give it a pass. It worked for for it, and also it, it gives him. There's a story to be told in the future, isn't there? Uh, with involving yeah. him, and it, and it's sort of laying the groundwork for something in the future, and it gave him more to do rather than yeah. wisecrack and be on the on the computer. Yeah, and initially I was critical of it, guys, I'll be honest. I came out of it thinking, yeah, that's one bit I would have changed. But I'm thinking, at that point then, you're going to need to establish someone being able to use this teleportation device in order for certain other plot threads to yeah. work and to follow through. And if you're going to give them to anyone, yeah, let's give them to the computer guy, the, the guy behind the guy. Let's give them to Ned, because he's done a lot of groundwork in these films, hasn't he? He's established himself as a likeable guy. Yeah, it's got that sort of innocence to him that... If there yeah. was, you know, if you believe in that sort of mojo of the power of universe and stuff like that, someone yeah. who's that positive and that sort of sort of open to what you're a superhero, okay, you're my best friend. I'll, you know, I'll be a computer guy. You know, yeah. <laughs> that type, yeah. that type of dude, like who just wants to help everyone. Essentially, the Ned character is almost too good to be true. But then you sort of think, I wish I had a best friend like Ned. Sometimes when I was in school, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. <laughs> Going back to the interrogation scene with him, they're, they're so good, aren't they? Both the three mates, the three, I mean, I even including Flash in it as well. The the, the main, the kids then, in inverted commas. I don't know, the Flash characters never worked for me. I, I don't really understand why they went that direction with Flash. I know they were doing something completely different, but for me, Flash Thompson should really be the jock kid, and he should really, I know they did it as sort of like the rich sort of social media savvy kid, and he's on TikTok or whatever, you know, and all the stuff I don't understand. But I don't know, the Flash Thompson character doesn't work for me in this. Uh, in the, I, 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 I just think, you know, he, he's the, the sarky little twat that used to be in school that would hang on to whoever yeah. was popular. And it works, yeah, okay. for, it works for me. And I, well, look, let's, let's, before we forget, guys, we mentioned the four villains, but let's talk about the fifth one. Because one of the things that I did like about Spider-Man 3 was Thomas Hayden Church as Sandman. And again, he's, there's nothing that great about him in the way he's done. But I like Thomas Hayden Church as an actor. I like the fact that his motivations are not just, you know, he's, he's got the thing with his daughter. And you've got that really, and again, I'm not sure how the CGI holds up now, you know, 14 years on. But the bit where he actually does get his molecules sort of scrambled and he and he turns into sand. And you've got that beautiful thing where... It still works, mate. It still works. I saw it about, saw it about two, three years it ago. It was like, as if, yeah, Raimi says, look, we're not going to rush this bit now. The, the way the music plays and, and, the, and the way that way it acts out, it's just really nicely done. And it's one of those sort of villain transformation scenes that isn't sort of like Jack Napier falling into a vat of chemicals. Just thrashing or, about like a... 
Yeah, it, there's, there's, a, there's a kind of like beauty to the scene. And the fact that they brought him back as well, I, I really liked it. And the fact that initially he is all for helping Peter Parker because at the point where towards the end yeah, of the film, the point, he, he kind of... He sort of gone to that. That was a strange thing with Doc Ock, wasn't it? Like you say, he was. I saw an interview where, prior to this where Molina was saying he gets sapped into this universe just as he's falling into the water. I was like, well, just as he was falling into the water, he was he was good. But I suppose you've got the yeah. voices in his head, you know, the... Yeah. But like you say with Sandman, I mean, we got to remember with Thomas Hayden Church, again, we're talking about Garfield getting a, a disservice. I mean, you cast him as a, a villain in a Spider-Man film. You've got to think he was just coming off sideways when he did when he did that. I think sideways was 2004, yeah. wasn't it? So three years on, then he would have been this film. And yeah, you know, sideways was absolutely brilliant. I think it was a case of, I think Spider-Man 3 didn't do him any favours and didn't do his career any favours. Well, he, he'd sort of, he'd sort of, I can't remember what sitcom he was in. He was in an American sitcom and it was one of those things, there was Sky TV on it, it was in its sort of early stages. I had Sky TV and it was, you know, oh wow, I'm watching these things that no one else gets to see, they're only in America. And he was in that and then I saw him in Sideways and I, I'm kind of guessing that he must have been a sort of like a like a Friends actor or a Will and Grace actor. And pro- Our international viewers are probably laughing at me as I'm saying this. He must have sort of gained a bit of momentum through whatever NBC or ABC comedy he was doing, and then yeah. done this sort of small independent film with Paul Giamatti and did Sideways. And of course, I think he was, was he. I know he was Oscar nominated, but I don't even know if he won an Oscar. Did he? Uh, right, it won for best adapted screenplay nomination for picture of the year actor in, yeah he was nominated Tom Hayden Church was nominated for best performance uh, actor in a supporting there you role. go so like you know, he's, he's up for yeah. best supporting actor and of course that's the thing where I suppose your, your Asian phones you up and says hey Tommy boy I got you Spider-Man 3 and you know and you think especially coming off the back of the second Raimi film you think wow you know this is going to be really yeah. fucking good here you know you know you, you're coming off well you know like you say you've got Willem Dafoe you've got Melina I'm going to be the third one, you know, and, the, and these, and I these think, films are getting progressively better every time they're being released. Look, if they've taken Dr. Octopus and, e- and elevated him even slightly, then they've done well. What they've done with Electro is fantastic. I think they've ended up pretty much on a neutral with Lizard. I would say that as much as he's getting a lot of praise, and again, this could be because of my own distractions during this first viewing, but I don't think they did a massive amount with the Green Goblin that is better than what we've seen before, although he was handled extremely well. And I don't mean that as a disservice, but I'm just saying... The only thing I'd say with the Goblin is that we got a more comic book accurate looking Goblin. That's yeah, the only difference. That's right. We yeah. had a sort of kind of Power Ranger suit in the Raimi films, which, mm. you know, they're of their time and it kind of works. I, I, I'm glad, Neil, actually. That's a good point. I'm glad they got rid of the helmet early yeah. on. Well, that was the thing. That was the one criticism. If you look at the, the one criticism that people have now looking back on the Raimi films at the time, mm. I don't think anyone really criticised it at the time. No. But they did screen test, didn't they? I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. They did screen test where they had like a sort of animatronic face of the goblin and stuff, which was kind of shaped like that helmet. And it looks really cool. i got to be honest. Oh, but yeah, yeah, for yeah. whatever reason, probably monetary and probably at the time of technology, they went with the mask. Yeah. It, it's never really bothered me, guys. I've got to be honest. No. It's never really bothered me. But I can see why someone who's like an aficionado would say, well, you know, and the great part of this was, especially towards the end, where he had that sort of hooded top on and the padded jacket underneath, and it sort of looked like the ragged sort of goblin that we were used to seeing. You know, it looked really good, I thought. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, when you look at William Defoe's face, and then you cover it with a mask. Exactly, of course, you don't do it. 
Yeah, but again, I've always thought with the mask, it's almost like a perfect mould of his face. His face kind of is a mask. You see so many mock-ups of him as the Joker and stuff like that. Hmm. You know, his face is... But it's also that voice oh, as well, yeah, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, born to play that character. Yeah. But my, my point is, I think they've pretty much, you know, they've taken Sandman and they've, they've dealt with him well. Yeah, definitely. They've used the character properly. But I don't think they've elevated him in the same way they've done with Electro. But again, this is not a negative. This is just pointing out the fact that they've used him well. I think the thing is that we never really sort of got in the Raimi films, and we never really get in this as well, is the sort of comic book version of the Sandman. It's quite a, like a, a bruiser. He's quite thick. So I suppose yeah. there would have been a thing of when he comes to a parallel universe and stuff like that. You know, it's like, I don't trust nobody. You know, I'm, you know, it was probably a little bit more comic book accurate, I thought. You know, in the Raimi version, it was it was almost like a sob story for him, wasn't it? Well, his name is Flint Marco. His brother is Kane Marco, the juggernaut. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's yeah. what I mean. It's almost that sort of, you know, me no like type attitude, you yeah. know? But they, what they did as well, without slamming at home, was just take the mickey out of some of the more ridiculous elements of the films, you know, of the Raimi films particularly. But the stuff that was that was standard fare of comic book films of that era, and of course, as we said, we're only talking 20 years ago, but that yeah. don't apply in the MCU, such as Otto Octavius's name, you know? Um, the fact yes. that villains become, you know, transformed from their human form into their villain form by falling into things. That's right. Yeah, which they make a joke yeah. out of. But put a pin in that, Rich. Put a pin in the making fun of the maybe sillier elements. Because before we get to that, let's clear up the, the big sort of gut punch part of the film. Now, Peter, being Peter, he's very trusting in people, always wants to see the best of them, always wants to help people. So he trusts the Green Goblin and the others, and he kind of takes them back to Happy Hogan's apartment. And then things very quickly go awry when the Green Goblin persona establishes itself over Norman Osborn and then we end up did he always have that persona that's what I was trying to work out because it, it seemed like his spidey senses went off and he went a bit he didn't know which one mm. to distrust and I thought I yes. wonder if Osborn was doing this right from the start I, I kind of I don't of, think I they kind, were even thinking that deep I about it I kind of think he was though with reflection because at the time I was like oh he's turned and mm. it's only with reflection I thought did he turn or did he just put on an act to begin with do you know that you say it yeah, right? Do you just think of how he looked when he was sat with Aunt May in that sort of almost um, pathetic, wasn't it? It was almost yeah. Yes. Didn't he look a little bit insincere? Yeah, and that's what I was thinking, but I was going back. It was almost like It's only now that you mention that that years ago the the sort of joke they made in Tropic Thunder was, you know, you 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 play someone with mental issues, you know, and it was like that's that sort of great yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Like, you don't go full retard, you play yeah. Rain Man, you play Forrest Gump. It was almost that, wasn't it? Where it was always that sort of thing of as much as we watch like doesn't often be Ray Man or Tom Hanks' Forrest Gump. There was always that thing of, yeah, but you're acting that, aren't you? You're not really... So, you yeah, know, he really, smashed yeah. the mask, didn't he? He smashed the mask in the alleyway. So that was kind of... I think... I, I do think that coming into the, the new universe, I do think that, that he was broken. I, I I know what he's saying, and maybe, you know, maybe he's supposed to be a bit ambiguous afterwards, I th- but I, I, from the fact that he was almost arguing with the mask and then smashed the mask, and then the next thing he's kind of down and out... I think we're supposed yeah. to take it that that was genuine. Then as he started to, you know, he spent spending time with Peter and seeing more of what was going on, the goblin was sort of in the background and yeah. then I think he gave prob- into it. I think it's probably a pivotal scene that on a second viewing you'll go, that's what I'm saying. I, I know from the point, like we said, when he smashed the mask and stuff like that, that again, referenced in the Raimi films where it was almost like, I can't do it, but you must. That sort of internal turmoil. 
But I think on second viewing, I think there's going to be a scene where we're going to go, oh, that's where he turned. What I'm saying is I don't think he turned at that point. When Spidey suddenly yeah. got that sense of, oh, something's wrong. Yeah. I think it had happened before that. Maybe when he yeah. when he opened the box and he saw the... Um, I think you just nailed it, Rich. Yeah, you have. With the arc reactor and stuff like that in the box. Yes, yes of, course. of course. Yeah, you saw potential there, yeah. didn't you? I think on sec- second view, and I think we'll, we'll all go, yeah, Rich is right yeah. on that one. Yeah, I definitely think, we've said before, guys, of all valuable second viewing is, I think this more than any other film we've talked about in a long time is going to be ripe for a second viewing, which then leads on to the death of Aunt May. Oh. And that came right out of nowhere for me. Yeah. There was no point, there was no point where yeah. I thought, even when it struck her, when the, the glider struck her, I thought, is she yeah. hurt? And I just envisaged, yeah, she's going to be hurt, you know? And then when she got up and she was yeah. acting a bit strange and she was almost in shock, you know, sort of talking and yeah, sure. one right, I thought, she's going to collapse or something, but she's going to be okay. I, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking to myself, Peter can't come back from this. He's, no. He has nobody else. He's lost Tony Stark. He's lost, you know, yeah. he's lost his, his his life. And now Aunt May, no, they can't. On my own, but I was I was having that having that conversation with myself. It, this she's not she can't die because how is Peter gonna go on to do what he's got to do? He can't. He's not well, gonna. That's the, that's the one constant you've got with Spider Man, isn't it? Is no matter what happens in whatever version you watch or whatever book you read or whatever like that. Aunt May's there, isn't she? Yeah. Uncle sure. yeah, Ben I've got Ben dies. We all accept that. Uncle Ben dies, you know, great yeah. power, great responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. But Aunt May's always there. Yeah. But you know, the thing is, right, and this is weird, this is the beauty of three people who've watched the film separately. You've got three sets of eyes and ears and brains processing everything. I've raised what I thought was initially a bit of a, a plot element I didn't like with Ned possessing the ring and the, and the ability to do the teleporting thing. You then, Neil, have highlighted the fact that this is a Peter Parker that is different to the yeah. other ones we've seen before and the fact that this Peter Parker, we've never seen him deal with the loss of his Uncle Ben. It was almost like a scapegoat, though, wasn't it? It was always like we knew Uncle Ben had died because she'd referenced Ben yeah. in, in earlier films, you know? But now we get to see Peter deal with real loss and like you've then just said, Rich, perfectly capping the point I'm trying to make, the fact that Peter is not going to be able to come back from this following the loss he's had to deal with previously, which then gives us the perfect reason from a plot point of view and a character point of view to necessitate bringing in two other Peter Parkers from alternate universes. And then we get to the point where the whole thing with Ned and his ability and his desire to want to find Peter leads them to bring in Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, into this well he was already in this universe i think at this point yeah, wasn't yeah he? That, that that was because i thought to begin with i was like oh he's opening a portal to the amazing spider-man world if you like and then yeah. when he comes in he says i've been here for like 48 hours or whatever i know yeah i, I yeah. know and it was great he sort of qualified you straight away i know this isn't my universe let me let me you just know? ask you now the two of you know at this point right for me at this point i was so in the film i was so into it i'd almost forgotten this months of of rumors and suggestion that completely completely the, on board with that rich completely on board with that when, when Neil, in conversations we were having weeks and maybe months ago, said that Andrew Garfield had outright denied any involvement in this film, when he told us that, I bought yeah. that because I thought, well, if he's saying that, then it's more than likely. And I can't see how they're going to justify a crossover on this scale from a point of view of it's just something that doesn't seem like something a, a big or two big studios would do. And at that point in the film, I'd written it off. So when he appeared... If the Charlie Cox thing knocked my jaw to the floor, then this thing knocked my jaw. But you're looking at him off. thinking he's taller. He's different shape. 
Yeah. You, yeah. I was looking and thinking, and, and, and I needed, I needed one of you there next to me at that point for me to go, that's not Tom Holland. Because I was saying it, he's taller, he's, th- he's, he's slimmer, he's, he's different, he's different. That's, yeah. And the look then, he was looking, wasn't he? He was kind of like, he was like an animal, an inquisitive animal, and he was looking at the portal. And as, as he came, as he came closer and closer and closer, and he realised, that's Andrew Garfield. Like, I completely agree with Rich. It might have been CGI. A lot of Spider-Man is CGI. But for some is, for yeah. some reason, instantly when I looked at it, I thought, is it, isn't it? And Zach sort of tapped my arm and went, Andrew Garfield. It was like almost that mannerism he did, like Rich is saying with his head, that sort of little side tilt to his head. Yeah. yeah. Instantly was recognizable as that's Andrew Garfield. Yeah. And like Rich was saying, I got so into the film by that point. Look, we all knew they were gonna be in it. Come on, they're gonna be in it. I didn't. No, I didn't. We all leading up to it, we were like, come on, they gotta be in it. By the time we got to this point, you were like, mm, are they in it? And by this point of the film, I'd actually forgotten that speculation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. It was almost like having a surprise, like someone telling you, I'm going to give you this gift, and then you forgetting about it yeah. and then getting it. <laughs> Look, I, I think, guys, in, in recent times, this is going to go down as one of the great reveals in a film. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Even more so than when to- Toby, even if you put Toby Maguire as the first reveal, I think this one's better because you've had the balls to have, and the confidence to go with what is widely seen as the lesser yes. Spider-Man. Well, yeah. and, and again, you've got to think he's an actor. If he's yeah. if he if he's on Jimmy Kimmel saying I'm not in this, I'm sorry, guys. Doesn't matter what's happening. Well, you know he's acting. <laughs> if yeah, I'm, yeah, telling, yeah. If I'm sure. telling you I'm not going to be on the podcast next, and you go, yeah, yeah, shut up, you're going to be on the podcast. He's an actor. He knows how to sell it. Yeah. And by God, did he sell it? <laughs> As much as, right, I think they did a stellar job with taking a weak villain in Jamie Foxx's Electro and, and elevating him to this really good position, I think there's a strong argument that they've done even better here with Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because everything they've done with him, with his performance, with the character, every little bit. And, oh, guys, cool little bits. Right? Let's, just, let's just take everything that we become accustomed to, push that aside. Let's just give... The two older Spider-Men, a little moment to themselves. The backcracking scene. Oh, brilliant. Oh, I mean, like, I was, don't even know, I think I was in work or something earlier today, and that moment came back to me. When I was trying to think, oh, what things am I going to want to bring up tonight in the episode? And that little moment came back, and I thought, my God, it's little character moments like that, which you just can't, you can't put a value on how much they bring to sort of instilling in you a sense of, yeah, we give a shit about these characters, and we want you to give a shit about them. I thought that was so well done. And again, done. it's almost that sort of a little internal joke as well, there, because in between one and two, he injured his back, and he didn't see Biscuit, and it was sort of talk that yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal was going to take over from yeah. him and stuff like that. And they kind yeah. of wrote that in, didn't they? The, the 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 back part, so he could have little issues where if he looked a bit stiff, it was because he had back issues at the time, you know, when yeah. he was doing it. But it was part and, of the reason as well that he didn't go beyond three, apart from everything else, wasn't it? It was one of those things that he was really, you know, he did the thing, and then with three, he was it was he was very suffering in three, and it was kind of like not even sure that he'd be if four comes back. If it comes back for four, yeah. we're not even sure he's going to be able to do it again. If it, it's something that dogged two and three was his back problems. Again, it was it was just such a knowing. It was saying to us, "We know you've been here for twenty years." And talking about other little cool moments, you've got that bit where again, this is fast forwarding because we we've skipped past the fact. Okay, let, let's just jump to the point. We we get Garfield, and then we get and I literally thought at that point maybe we just get Garfield. Yeah, I, I thought well. you know all the thing if Toby Maguire was probably smoking mirrors because. It's almost one of those things. When he was saying about Garfield coming back, I was thinking, I can see Garfield going, nah, I'm all right. Because by all accounts, Garfield lost the role because he just didn't attend the meeting. 
this sounds mm. bizarre. He criticised Amazing Spider-Man 2, and by all accounts, uh, Kevin Feige was actually giving notes on Amazing Spider-Man 2, because at that point, he was looking to bring Garfield into the DMCU. Yeah. And then, by all accounts, he missed a meeting, and they were like, and then he was overly critical about it in the press, you know, when he was giving interviews, he was kind of saying, well, look, they, they dropped a the fucking ball with this one, basically, like, you know, mm. and they were like, yeah. look, you know, let's redo it. Let's just just start yeah. again, like you know, the, you know, even the lead actors being critical of the role, yeah. almost sort of talked himself out of the role. Yeah. But I mean, you see him in subsequent roles. I mean, Heartbreak Ridge. I mean, my God, that guy can fucking act. Yeah, you know, there's there's no way I'm going to sort of diss Andrew Carfield for that. Like, no. but of the two of them, you but, think of, of the two of the two actors can, of, of Toby and him, the one person who doesn't need to go back to the to that that role that really could have been you know he could have been the next christopher reeve yeah he could have mm. he could have only been spider-man and never worked again what he's done is he's turned a turkey into a platform for a really sort of a, a genuinely great acting career you know he's not well, taking, I, he's I, not taking I, blockbuster parts all the time he's acting and, I, I go the other way with that rich because i'd say like mcguire really is the christopher reeve Maguire is always going to be spider yeah, That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. With Garfield to come back, it's almost like, you know, let me see the script first. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing something great for me. With Maguire, I can see Maguire going, mm, you know what? Nah, I'm all right, guys. That being said, when was the last time you saw Maguire or anything? I think his last credit was like yeah. Boss Baby 2 or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I don't think he really needs some money, is what I'm saying with Maguire. Yeah. So then you've got on, on that scene on the roof where Peter Parker, Tom Holland. Let's just go Maguire, Holland, and uh, Garfield. That'd be easier. You've got Andrew Garfield there, and when when he's in the room and he, he's got to prove that he's Spider Man. That was a really funny sequence where he's yes. reaching up to the roof ceiling and, really and crawling along. It, that really played into Garfield's humour. Yes, and it I, did. I was going to say with that scene in particular. I mean, that's that, that's the one thing I always say. For me, Garfield is Spider Man. He's just not Peter Parker. And, yes, and the I minute agree. the mask came off. He's kind of, I thought, oh, God, he's doing it again. He's going back to that sort of, he almost plays Peter Parker like he's hungover. He's, he's too cocky and confident, whereas Peter Parker's got to be awkward and he's stumbling. He's almost like, yeah, man, okay, whatever, you know. And, stuff. and he yeah. started, yeah, yeah. and I thought, oh, here we go. Yeah. And then yeah. all of a sudden, it was like as if, oh, no, he's doing his version of Peter Parker now. And yeah. like you say, that scene where he had to touch the ceiling, and he had, really, do I have to? And okay. Yeah. And he sort of like came out, and I thought, that was the Peter Parker I wanted to see you play. Yeah, and then Toby. Uh, I gotta be honest, with you. I've, I have already said this to you guys. I was like, man, he looks old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he first yeah, came through that does. portal, I don't know how old he is. He's probably about my age now. And I suppose if you looked at me twenty years ago, you know, there's going to be a difference there. But I was like, man, he looks old when he first came through that portal. But do you guys, do you know what I thought of? What? The way I justify that in my head is when we see older Peter Parker in Spider-Man: The Spider-Verse. Yes. Yes. And it, at that point, I thought, this is what I'm going to think of now. I'm going to think of him in terms of this is an older Spider-Man yeah. that has got all the knocks and bruises and, and stiff joints from years of crime fighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is him coming in to impart his wisdom onto a younger Spider-Man. Yeah. It all fits perfectly into that scene on the rooftop where Tom Holland is at his lowest point. And like you say, oh, Rich, it's yeah. a point where he wouldn't be able to come back from that. And what does MJ and Ned do? They bring help from another universe in the form of two quite different Peter Parkers. I think that element is, is the thing about this film that brings it all together perfectly. Because why would you need... Goosebumps at that point. Yeah, I'm getting them yes, thinking about it. That's right. And I think this is a bit that on reflection and rewatches, we're going to start to see things. I, I have no doubt we're going to see things in the film that don't make sense and, and, and that we're going to be more critical of. But I think this sort of thing 
this this sort of main thread of, of the story i think is the thing that's gonna stand out more on future viewings and it was that little bit where when they all get their shit together and they all try to you know stop i'll stop you there for a second when they were talking about that it was like obviously i lost uncle ben while i lost uncle ben and stuff like that yeah. and then garfield started saying about well, what happened after Gwyneth died and he became vengeful yeah and stuff like that. and i was like yeah my god in like the space of like i don't know 45 seconds i want that we, see that we had we, we had the spider-man 3 that could have yeah. been we exactly. could have had the, the third film that would have been oh my god this is really good actually we'll give it a we'll give yeah. it a mark webb as a director i sure. don't know why they had him just because webb spider i don't know but <laughs> something was obviously going wrong with those films but it, just that one scene when he was relaying and i became you know vengeful and i became twisted yeah. and bitter and stuff like that and i was like oh you're drawing yeah. me into this now like yeah. You know, and, and like you say, that that scene there where you've just got those two sort of like I suppose like with Garfield as well. He's he's at least ten years older than Holland, and then you've got Maguire, who's got to be yeah. roughly our age. I would say our age. I mean, mine, your age, not Rich. He's eternally twelve. But <laughs> but that sort of thing of like stop a minute, son. Listen to what we're saying, like you know. Yeah. And it's I find yeah. myself doing it with my son sometimes, where he sort of say, "Look, I understand what you're going through, but you've got to understand this will take you on a path you don't want to go on to." You know. And you start using yeah. yourself as an example of like, don't make the same mistakes I did. And, yeah. And it was like, just like goosebumps watching it. You know, it was just like, wow, this is, and like you say, yeah. the, the fact that we could have had a third Garfield film where they were probably building towards that. Let's be honest, if it had done better, they probably were building towards something along those lines. This is really like a missed opportunity, dude. Like, <laughs> but then in, in, in the context of what we get oh, in here, yeah. it, it works, works perfectly, perfectly, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> It was almost like having that third film, like I say, in the space of 45 seconds. And in that little moment then, or, or you know, little moment, it's, it's, it's a scene in, in the lab where they're all getting their shit together and putting all of their different similar talents to, to, to good use and working out how they're going to cure each of these villains. And then you've got a bit where, right, we're good to go? Yeah. And then Garfield turns to uh, Maguire and says, do you bring your suit? And he just pulls his collar down. That was the oh, You look like a cool, I mean, like a you cool youth pastor. That was the one thing, because I, I was wondering with Maguire, I was thinking, is it like part of the thing that he said, well, I'll come back, but I won't wear the suit again. Yeah, yeah. I was actually quite worried that we weren't going to see him in a suit. Yeah, so was at I. That point. It takes us into the big final duster. I don't think there's anything overly groundbreaking in the way this big final fight happens, apart from the fact that you've got three Spider-Men against five Spider-Villains. Listen, this is when we're talking about fan service, right? Th- yes. These type of films, and especially what we'd seen in the trailer with Strange coming back and, oh, the universe is opening. It's like, oh, we got another film where the big blue light's coming from the sky and they're going to have to battle everyone. Right, we're talking about fan service at this point, right? We've got every villain mm. from the major Spider-Man films coming back. We've got all yes. three Spider-Men. Uh, we've also got them having a fight on the Statue of Liberty and at another point on a giant Captain America shield. Yeah. Now, if we're, talk- if we're talking fan service, if you say that to me, I'll say you've gone too far, that's fan service. Neil, that's almost as ridiculous sounding as Darth Vader fighting the robot T-Rex. <laughs> yeah, right. But somehow... I'd still want to they, see it. They got it right, though, didn't they? That's what I'm saying. They got it right. They nailed it. They no nailed point it. There was in this where I was thinking, oh, okay, yeah, it's a bit too far. I was totally sold on this. Yeah, from, from, from a certain point in this film, there were no sort of eye-roll cringe moments. There was there was a moment, I think, it, towards the end of the second act where I was like, oh, it's starting to lag a bit for me now. And then this third act just literally just kicked me back into gear, like, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. I'd like you say to see the three of them working in their lab, and then at one point Andrew Garfield's character just turns around and says, "Yeah, I'll take care of the lizard." And then all like, "Why?" Well, I'm yeah. only taking care of him. It's easy. I can just make the same potion, <laughs> you know, with the same yeah. the same antidote right. or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, it's great. It's just like all three of them work together. This big threat, but the, like the reality of it is, yeah, I've already done this one before. I know how to do it. <laughs> and wouldn't it be easy? Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it have been easy for there to be conflict between the three of them wanting to? Yeah, get back it would have been. Okay. But they're not like that. Peter Parker no, is exactly. that sort of person. No, I was, I was going to say that that really exemplifies because the one thing I can compare this to, and I'm going to do what I always do, I'm going to make a Doctor Who reference. Whenever you get all the doctors, whenever you get all the doctors together, or you know, if you look at the most recent one, the, yeah. you get like the sort of Tennant and Smith sort of era, like when they when they, they work together. No, but they always clash to begin with. Because they don't like each other, you know, because yeah. you know, they're two yeah. alike. Sure. And then they find a common ground. And it was almost like instantly these lot didn't have any clash at all. You had a sort of brief moment yeah. where sort of Maguire and Garfield, their spidey senses went off. And I thought that was mm-hmm. tremendous where Garfield sort of like put the web in him. And then like Maguire just sort of like worked out, oh, you haven't got organic web shooters. So he sort yeah. of blocked his off. And he was like, right, okay, game over. Can yeah. we talk to each other now? Can we sort out what's going on? And with mm. the three of them in the lab, it wasn't as if like um, Maguire was second guessing Garfield or Garfield was second guessing Holland. They were all like, "We're all Peter Parker. We all we could all work together." But then later on, when the two of them clearly the two older ones are like, "I can't work as a team." Younger yeah. Peter Parker's like, "I know how to do this." Like, yeah, I've done this. And there were little in jokes there as well when they were saying about Spider Man one, two, and three, weren't they? And yeah. like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they, you know, they were all referring to the Garfield as number three. And it was always that sort of yeah. joke of like you're the worst Spider Man, yeah. and it's like you had that sort yeah. of little redemption then when Maguire said, "Oh, actually, I think you're amazing." Yeah, and it was like certain lines there. You had Octavius doing when he got the the arc reactor, and he went, "The power of the sun in my hand." Yeah, you had like a Goblin saying at one point, "Was well, I can help you out, Peter. I'm, you know, I'm quite a scientist myself." This is fan service, but it works in the context of what you're doing. Absolutely, yeah. I think it, what it is is as a, as a foundation, it's a great understanding of the of the comic book origins for all of these characters but on top of that it's an even better understanding of the failings as to how some of them have been dealt with in their individual films or in their individual series of films and it's taking it good or bad so it's like taking dark arc or electro and using them to the best of your ability as a writer as a director and then getting the best performances out of those actors and everything coming together perfectly for what I think when it comes down to it is a near enough perfect ending to both this trilogy to both the Tom Holland Spider-Man character story and the individual stories of these other characters you pulled in from other chronologies and, and universes. Well, if you look at both of the sort of the, the two older Spider-Man obviously we've been overly critical of Garfield's films but Maguire didn't end on a high point. No. No, God, you know, no. It was nice to sort of see when that little throwaway line of lab when he was like, yeah, me and MG, it eventually worked. You know, my MG, it eventually works yeah. out. Like Andrew Garfield saying, uh, you know, uh, Gwen Stacy, she was my MJ. And that was how she was referred to. As, you know, that, that's Andrew Garfield's MJ. It's not MJ, yeah. it's Gwen. But, it, you yeah. know, it, it was just, again, little knowing sort of things like that as well, that, that it was a quick way of yeah. explaining who she was. But again, his acting, where T- Toby Maguire was very kind of calm and almost Obi Wan like, Andrew Garfield was, you know, he was he was there with the emotion as well. You know, him saving mm-hmm. MJ. That moment know. of like sort of redemption, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, that. It, was, it was that moment, you know. And and again, I, I you know, maybe I'm very tired and drunk too much or whatever, but 
it was just that moment of him of landing and that rejection because in his mind he could he was saving MJ because he couldn't save Gwen and he's yeah, reliving was, that pain of yeah. not saving Gwen. It, it, it was just it's so powerful. powerful. Yeah, it was brilliant. It yeah. was absolutely brilliant yeah. for a film right. that I wouldn't have I wouldn't have pissed on before before seeing this film this week. You know, I would I would happily never watch Amazing Spider-Man two again. Now, but, yeah. now, but now you would, wouldn't you? You'd watch, yeah, yeah. You'd watch Amazing Spider-Man two now just to think it's going to be all right, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so, yeah. I know it's sure. like, it's going to be all right, like you know. Yeah. Let's move on into the return of Doctor Strange. He comes back. Then Peter, after they sorted out each, each individual villain, Tom Holland, sorry. He has his kind of Luke Skywalker moment where he goes to the dark side. Garfield, well, obviously. I was going to say, did you, did you, I would. I, I, so, not Garfield, actually. Maguire steps in and stops now, him, doesn't he? No, I don't he? know if yeah. this is true, but I thought at that point, when Maguire got stabbed, I thought, my God, he's going to die. This is the second big gut punch. I didn't see yes. May. I didn't yeah. see Aunt May go in, and I definitely yeah. didn't see Maguire die. And the rumor is, in the original cut of that film, Maguire dies. And that wouldn't surprise now, me because that's how I thought When he was, was laying going. on the shield and he was like, uh, uh, you know, you know, and he's like looking up and then the sky starts opening up and stuff like that. I thought, my God, he's going to die. Yeah. By all accounts, there was the first screenings, test screenings of this, he dies in. Wow. And I was like, I'm kind of glad he didn't. But by the same token, because mm. I say that emotional gut punch when Goblin stabbed him from behind. And it was almost yeah. like retribution, wasn't it, for like, well, you... Of course well, it was, it's yeah. Me, like, yeah. If that rumor is true, and I can see audiences immediately going, you can't bring back Toby Maguire to kill him. Had Maguire died, I'm not saying it would have been better, I'm not saying it would have been worse, it would have been far better handled than seeing our other original hero. I don't know, keep going back to Star Wars on almost every episode, but that would have been better than seeing either Han Solo or Luke Skywalker die. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, that that would have worked in the context of this yeah. film and what he was doing. Yeah, I agree. One thing we haven't actually mentioned, guys, is that is the sort of chemistry and the performances from Tom Holland and Zendaya. I I've never liked Zendaya in this role. I gotta be honest, I've never really been sold on Ned on this role either. But Zendaya in particular, I was always like the MG character for me. Just see, it was the it was the bit on the bridge in Far From yeah. Home where she opens up to him and. That's when I just I, I was completely at ease with it, and I thought, yeah, I think she's great. I love this version of her. Okay, that, that's probably fair to say. I warmed to her in the second film, but I never yeah. really sort of felt a connection between the characters. I never, as strange as it sounds, and I, I know when you see them off camera and stuff, oh, they're really friendly and really get on well together. But I just never felt yeah. there was a chemistry between them. No, they've they've always worked for me in these. Me too. But it, in this film, I was I was kind of like, especially with the end into the film, I was literally like, it was like tearing out your heart. Like, you know, yeah. I gotta be honest, I would say, with this being the third film, if you look at those three main characters with Ned, yeah. with uh, Spidey and, and, and um, MJ, this is by far the strongest performance from all three of those actors. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah 100%. And for me, Neil, and I'm sure this is what you're referring to as well, is is after they've sent all the various villains and other Spider-Men back to their universes, and then Parker's worked out that the only way to stop everything else coming in from other universes and causing further chaos is to put that original spell in place and to make everyone forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and to forget, in fact, to forget about Peter Parker and who he is. And then you've got that scene where he's made a promise to MJ that he's going to go and find her and... He's going to make her remember him. And then when he finally does, he sees that plaster. little plaster on her head. And the fact that, do you know what? I've literally lost the two most important people in my life before I met you. I lost the father figure in Tony Stark. And I've lost my Aunt May. And if I carry on down this road, as Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man yeah. has told me, 
with Gwen Stacy, I'm going to lose you. And he makes that decision. And it is just, I think, Neil, maybe the reason that test audience didn't like the loss of Maguire is because when you've got that end of the Yeah, you'd have had to, you'd have it's had just, to, you'd, it's, it's too, too much, much isn't it? But I will say as well, if you look at Stark as being his role model, although he didn't sort of like ultimately give his life as in the physical terms of his life, he basically does what Stark does. He gives his life up. You know, when you look at... Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Stark gives his life up in the sort of, you know, actual version of death. But when you look at what Parker does there, he gives away his life. You know, he gives he gives yeah, away yeah, ev- sure. yeah. everything he's got left in his life. He says, I'll turn my back on it for the better. You know, I'll make sure... Not because I have to. Not, not, not because I want to, because I have to. Because I can't risk yeah. you being hurt again or Ned being in danger again or whatever, you know? And you've also got, given the fact that it's almost as if, does she know? Does she, I don't think she does, because she is clearly just had, had all memories wiped It was away. almost like a sort of like weird sort of deja vu sort of thing, wasn't it, type thing going on yeah. behind, her, yes. behind her. And again, I, I, no disrespect to Zendaya, but I know she's she was in Dune. I know she gets like good roles here and there. She's got a TV series. I can't remember the name of the TV series. People give her credit for stuff. She's never struck me as a good actress before. I I like I like I, her yeah, in I, these I'm films. I'm not being I, I'm not being horrible to her. I'm not being whatever to her. But I've always been like sort of like yeah okay. I've never really once mm. is I'm, I'm not being critical of her. I've just never really sort of noticed her before. But that yeah that, yeah. Because I think it's because she plays it differently, doesn't yeah. she? She's more snarky. No, with any role she's in, I've never really sort of thought, oh yeah, you're mm. a great actress. You know, I've never thought you're a bad actress, but I've never really thought, yeah, I can see what all the, all the fuss is about. But with this scene, particularly in the donut shop at the end, I was like, do you oh, know yeah. what? You you really got some fucking chops on you, girl. You can really act. God, yeah. Of course she has. And, and you know, I, I don't think Tom Holland's ever been better. Look how far he's come, guys. Look how far he's come. If, if basically now, Tom Holland cries on screen and that's me done. Well, oh, yeah. if we're talking yeah. about crying, and I, I did say I wasn't going to mention this. There was a few moments in that towards the end of that film where I thought, yeah, I can feel a little bit of dust in my eyes and stuff like that. I gotta say, I was—I told him I was going to do it. There was a few moments when Zach was crying. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, don't do that to the boy, guys. How you have to look? And I know this sounds bad. It sounds unprofessional and whatever. But how? Just remind me of the very end of this film, not the post credits. How did it end? Basically, him walking away and then going to well, it looked like an apartment in Hell's Kitchen. That's right. Of which course, I'm hoping yes. will be the tie-in with Matt Murdock. Can you imagine? That's right. Of course, well, it does. Jim, Jim Cottle hit it on the end for me because he said straight away he said they're going to do the, your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man now with yes. um, Daredevil and Sp- you know and Spidey working yeah. together. I was you like, remember me saying before, put a pin in, and then we haven't got that old. Sorry, Rich. You did. This is for me now. This is what we've got now. We have gone from. Some of the criticised elements of Spider-Man, as uh, as the MCU version of Spider-Man, was that everything was handed to him on a plate. All of a sudden, he's got this Iron Man-style suit, and everything is so technical and all this sort of stuff. Now, what we've done is we've done three films, solo films. We've done Avengers. We've done all all of these. You know, how many films has Tom Holland done now? Six films. And what we're where, where we're now leaving it is he's making his suit in a sewing machine. On you know, he has no financial backing. He's on his own. Yeah. Uh, no, has no family, no friends, no backup. No, but nobody knows him because, yeah, exactly. like you said, no, nope. like you said, that was that was the one thing at the beginning of this film. I was thinking, well, surely Pepper Potter just sort this out for him. And, and now, so now, but also as well is the suit is very traditional. It's it's bright oh, blue, comic you know? book accurate, one, yeah, it's comic book accurate. So now, where we are now is we've done a six film arc over the period of of six six years or five years, whatever it's been for Tom Holland, and so now basic, we're left so basic, at, it's an origin story. The Spider Man that we've always to be the Spider Man we've always known. 
It's the perfect reset it button, is, really, isn't it? Completely, completely. So now they've yeah. got carte blanche to do what they want to do with him without the baggage of everything else. And of course, the future is going to, there's going to be a way that, that MJ is going to find out that it's him again. And that that's going to be part of it because, you know, that's, that's a thread that's left hanging. But what it does do is we've had the best versions of some of the best Spider-Man villains that we don't have to recast, that we don't have yeah. to compare. We've got Spider-Man now left school without all of the baggage of what's come what's come before but we can bring back in what we need as and when we, we want to provide that it serves the plot and we've got this yeah. fresh starting point reboot in continuity you know and for all we know now you know next next film he's going to meet norman osborne the, the, you know there's, there's going to be or, or, or harry osborne or or whatever this i know that oscorp doesn't exist in this universe but perhaps there's a different version of norman osborne sure. what what he's going to recall or maybe he's going to meet an Otto octavius He's going to meet somebody or something, which is he knows what happens to these people in these other universes, which gives him a bit of a a bit of a sort of a foreshadow of what could happen. But it also doesn't give us that sort of automatic comparison. Well, we're, we're reboot, you know, we're, we're having to remake these characters because he's met them. We, we, they, they exist. They, they're established. In which case, Enrich, without going too far down the rabbit hole of conjecture, because of course, both yeah. or three of us know how pointless <laughs> it can be, certainly with these films and how wrong we often are. You've got that ending, the almost perfect ending of bringing him back down to earth and almost character reset for him, bringing him back down to his roots of friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. Where does that leave the Tom Hardy post credit scene with Venom, leaving that little bit of black goo on the bar? Straight away, I was like, right, okay, Venom 2. Venom, I give a pass to, right? Because Venom was made as a an R-rated film. On the back of Deadpool, on the back of Logan. And at yeah. the last moment, Sony got jitters and tried to make it like a nice PG-13 for everyone and stuff like that. And I can remember about a week before it came out, watching an interview. Well, let's be honest, friend of the show, Tom Hardy, though, yeah? yeah. <laughs> Personal. F- friend, of, friend of the Gaskin family. Friend of the family. Gaskin family. I mean, he's, he's got an invite for Christmas dinner if he wants to come here. For those who don't know, Tom Hardy and my son are now best buds. But, yeah. that's, <laughs> but yeah. that's a story for another time. Right. <laughs> I got photographic yeah, evidence got photographic of that. Photographic evidence that Tom Hardy is the nicest man in the world because not only did he meet my son on one day and have pictures taken, we even met my son the following day and remembered my son and had a 15 minute conversation with him. But like Tom Hardy, officially a nice guy, wouldn't do a promo for Film 89, but we'll let that go. But I honestly thought, oh, sorry, Venom, when I was watching Venom, I was like, okay, it is what it is. It reminded me of like a 90s sort of superhero film where you go, it's not great, but it's the best we'll get. Yeah. Venom 2, I was like, right, okay, so Sony must have realised, well, we got like the in a bottle here, there's a massive audience for this, and they just basically remade the same film, and it and yeah. somehow made a worse version of it, and then you get a little sort of uh, post-credits thing, where I was like, well, that makes zero sense at all, why he's suddenly being transported, but I can see, okay, perhaps they're trying to bring in the Sinister Six, I've seen a lot of villains uh, in this trailer for No Way Home, I've seen a lot of speculation, but no one seems to be mentioned in Venom. Perhaps he's going to show up in the last 10 minutes and there's going to be some sort of, perhaps he's on a Statue of Liberty fighting with the other villains. To have him as a post-credits thing, I was like, sort of like, okay, where's this leading to? Again, this is where conjecture is not going to do us any favours, is it? And then I saw that little sort of blob of the, the, <laughs> Venom left over. And I thought there could be a way here now where you could have a Venom villain in the MCU. Yeah. Let's be honest, Tom Hardy's Venom is an anti-hero, but he's still the hero. He is, yes. But he's still the hero. 
of the story. Of course. Yeah. Venom could also be the villain. I know Topher Grease's version and the best version of it, but he is the villain. And mm-hmm. I was like, sort of like, okay, so now is there going to be an MCU Venom and a Sony Venom? How about Black Suit Spider Man done right? I don't think it was always so because no. the, the, for the film that we got certainly wasn't missing Venom, but it gave us this little, it gave us this little sort of acknowledgement that their paths are going to cross somehow or other in the future. And actually that film didn't need Venom. It doesn't need Tom Hardy's, you know, the, the, this, that style of humor and that style of film. But all it did, all it needed to do was just to acknowledge that it exists because obviously it's planned out and obviously they know what they're doing and things I don't know I I, I actually quite liked it because it was that thing as well of in the same way that I'd forgotten about I'd forgotten about Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield I'd forgotten all about Venom so when I saw that it was just a kind of I th- I thought that was a little in joke. That was a kind of but a bit of a red herring. You know, we were at, at the end of Venom. It is, it is, but it makes no sense. How did all these people come into the into the if, into the MCU universe, if you like? Yeah, because they knew Peter Parker was Spider Man. That was the whole purpose. Ve- no, Venom but... knows who Peter Parker is because when they're in at the end of at the end of yeah, Venom, Rich, 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 he's licking the TV screen saying. So he knows. So Venom was the one. Rich, he's not in the he's not in that universe when he's looking at that TV screen. No, he's in our no, universe. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's in the Venom universe. No, he's not. How is, how is, how is, he, how is he not, guys? When he comes back, look at the conversation he's having at the bar. In, at the end of Let There Be Carnage, yeah. he is, they're, they're sat in, in the hotel room, wherever they are. Yeah, and, and he, get, he gets pulled and into he gets this pulled universe. Into this universe. Yeah, how so he, gets he get pulled into our universe. Rich, how did he get pulled into our... Like, because uh, Venom knows. Because everyone who knows that Peter Parker is, is Spider-Man gets pulled in. Venom doesn't know. Venom does know. No, Venom doesn't know. <laughs> well, he, well, he, to- he does. Because Topher Grace, no, no, Topher Grace has been around for for but ages. The, so, yeah, the, but not that <laughs> But the symbiote, the symbiote has the power to go through different universes. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not going to argue the point. But that venom doesn't know. Yes. Why is Tom Hart? Why is Why is Eddie Brock saying at the bar? Well, you're telling me there's a universe where other superheroes exist, and I'm not the only one. Yeah. Right? So that Venom doesn't know. Yeah, but that's Eddie Brock talking. Yeah. Not Venom. Think of the Venom symbiote in terms of the alien from the thing. It's been elsewhere. It's done other things. What? So it, it was. It's... It was in. It was in McGuire's. Potentially. We don't know. No, it was. Who no, knows? It we, we don't. Because again, if it was, look, he'd be there fighting them. We don't know. We don't know. But anyway, but... I think it was a wasted opportunity, and I. I gotta be honest. <laughs> oh, I just because was... your son was mates with Tom. Me and TH, as I like to call him, <laughs> we got a bond right now. I think it was a wasted opportunity, and I, I did think with that. I was like, oh, really? No need for that. I and I, I was the same. Neil. I thought that was a little bit lackluster for a post credits, but the second one, the, the the sort of preview of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. There was two sort of allusions to to the first time we've seen the Disney Plus stuff coming into it. Wanna, because you have yeah. Wanda mentioned in Westview. The second one I was gonna say when they were first fight did where strangers said i can't stop them all from coming in and the sky started opening up and it was all purple i thought well this is kang now with you know mm-hmm. that sort of loki connection potentially when they yeah. were fighting in new york at the start or when he was swinging through new york at the start you saw um the the steve rogers um yeah rogers the musical yeah from the hawkeye series mm-hmm. that we're all kind of enjoying right now <laughs> again put a pin in there that's a discussion for another time one thing which might mean nothing to you two but I know he will to our late friend Jim Cottle, is when we see Strange in what may, in the brief flash we saw have been Times Square, fighting that big tentacle thing with the eye in the centre of his body, Shuma Garath. I was like, fuck me. What? Bringing him in is like, 
holy shit. If, if they're willing to bring him of all the MCU villains in, then that shows me now that they're actually thinking, do you know what? There pretty much is nothing that we're not willing to try now. Personally, I don't want to waste too much time in trying to pick apart what is in this trailer because I think they give us so much. And there's so when, when you talk about multiple universes, every different shot there in that film could have been him sort of um, leapfrogging from one different universe to another. So we don't it's know. A, it's a lot to take in as well when you when you it just, is, it when is, you've it just is. come out and you yeah. just and this is taken away from taken away from what the, we're now trying to do. Taken away is, from yeah. the actual movie you've just watched. That's right then. So. Final thoughts and scores in on Spider. And I haven't done this. I thought I would accidentally call this film Spider-Man: Far From Home. But final thoughts and scores for Spider-Man: No Way Home. I think home. I called it Far From Home a couple of times. Honestly, I don't think you did. I'll I'll go first. Like I said, I don't think, guys, if you'd sat us down ten years ago when we you know we were in the infancy and the MCU and said Spider-Man's coming in and they're going to do a little trilogy, which is going to be kind of off um, with Sony Pictures whilst they're still doing the main Marvel Studios Avengers stuff with Spider-Man and for the third film they're going to bring in Andrew Garfield Tobey Maguire and a load of villains from those films and it's going to be epic I would have said no that's pure fanboy stuff that is fan fiction it wouldn't work there's so much red tape and studio stuff behind it no studio head would ever agree to that and look where we are not only that but it worked for the vast majority of the film my only issues are in the early parts of the film the second and third acts, the third act especially, work incredibly well. Personally, I can't wait to rewatch it. I went in with not the expectations I would have had if this was two years ago, coming off the high of Avengers Endgame, which, like you, Neil, I was very much like, for me now, this is all I need. I don't need anything else after this. But then when we saw the glimmer of hope at the end of Far From Home, with that J. Jonah Jameson reveal showing... And we never gave... We, I was going to say, as much as we gave credit for other people coming back, to get J.K. Simmons back... Because he played, he, yes. he played comic accurate in the Raimi films. He put he a did. different spin on yes. this one. And I, I, we got to give him a bit of kudos as well as we're going on. I agree, yeah. And he was brilliant. And I just would love to see more of him in Spider-Man films, especially if we're going to bring it down to a sort of neighbor, you know, friendly neighborhood menace Spider-Man type thing. But I think overall, I, I'm reluctant to give it a firm set-in-stone score. And I, I'm just going to go purely on instinct and from the point of view of how I felt when I came out of this film and the fact that I saw it before you two and I had to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I was just bust in to, you know, to talk to you both about it. And I was literally counting down the time between Rich seeing it the day after and then you, Neil, seeing it later on that same day. I was like, it can't come quick enough because I can't wait to talk to you guys about it. And for all the reasons we've said about how it takes lesser characters, elevates them in such a great way, alone for the stuff they did with Tobey Maguire and especially Andrew Garfield, I think this film has just done great stuff. That ending was absolutely perfect. Let's just leave the post-credits where they are for now. But the way the film ends is absolutely perfect on purely an in, a sense of enjoyment that I got from this film alone. I wouldn't be being honest with myself if I give it anything less than a 9 out of 10. I think, as you said, I think we gave Far From Home 9 out of 10. Yeah, overall, for, between the four of us, because it was Chris Bynan on the episode as well, yeah, there was a 9. I haven't watched Far From Home for a good while, but it, this just feels like such a better film, such a more complete film, an insurmountable task that is absolutely smashed out of the park. So where do you go from 9? Because is it a 10 out of 10 do you, what, do you Rich, what I, and again I don't want to cloud your, your sort of thing on this so right but having recently listened to our summation of that film that film might not have had anywhere near as many highs but I don't think it had as many problems as this film does just think back to how amazing Mysterio was and how well that mm -hmm. bit was handled and going back to the whole that technology thing in Civil War and all the things they integrated into it and, which got us thinking how far back were they planning yeah, these films yeah yeah 
Yeah. There was all that element which completely just won us over. It's something that, that I, I'm absolutely desperate to watch. Desperate to watch it again. I can't wait for it to watch again. I can't say any more than what I've said already. It, it is an absolutely solid 9 out of 10. It's got the potential. It has got the potential to go up. The way that I came out of that film feeling about, as I said, the surprises that were surprises despite suspecting and knowing that the th- certain things were coming, the little things that they did, they didn't they, they, they didn't smash the door down with certain things. It was just 99.9% of this film was was handled so, so well and was so rewarding. And I don't think I've had that cinema experience probably since Endgame, which is yeah. such a which sounds like such a fanboy thing to say because, oh, you know, you know, it's only Marvel films that do it for me kind of thing. But the, the time that's invested in these characters and, and everything that's kind of that's gone on and the work that's gone into it and the highs and lows that we've had this year with regards to the marvel output and i know that they're you know they're, they're lower for you guys than what they are for me because i'm perhaps i'm a bit more um a bit more easier to please then there's no there's no, there's no two ways about it we we haven't covered shang chi as a, on the on an episode i enjoyed shang chi i enjoyed it a lot it's it's a it's, it's a good it's, it's a good upper mid tier mcu film but i haven't watched it again i've got it i've got it on sky plus on, uh, on disney plus i haven't watched it again i will at some point I, I wasn't. I was in a lower position going into this film because of the Marvel output this year, and I never thought I'd hear myself say that. It's the film that we needed. It's the film that we wanted as Marvel fans. It's the film we wanted. It's the film we needed, and and we've been massively rewarded with it. And I just think that it's it's it damn near perfect. Let me tell you so. This film has got a lot of issues, some glaring holes in it. I'm going to echo you two guys. I never thought I'd be disappointed with the MCU, and over the last what, 12, 18 months, I have been. I have been. Mm. And like I say, with some of these things in this film, it might be fanboy service, it might be whatever, me getting carried away with the moment and stuff like that, guys. This film is not a perfect film. Let me tell you something, Endgame's not a perfect film, right? Infinity War is a perfect film. I'll stand by the 10 out of 10 I gave Infinity War. I could go back and I could re-watch Endgame and I could go, okay, maybe it's a nine. And maybe I'll have this opinion at some point with this film, but sitting there in that cinema last night, watching that with a little boy who grew up, watching the two versions of Spider-Man, this film is a 10 out of 10. It has given me so much pleasure. And let me tell you something, like Sky was saying there, I have not been able to stop thinking about this film since I watched it. At one point today, Zach texts me, just Oh my God, Dad, how good was that film last night? Literally, like, I can't stop thinking about it, Zach. I keep thinking about different things. I can pick holes in this film. Like I say, I can go about the Eddie Brock thing. There's certain other things I can little... But as an experience of sitting in the cinema last night, this film is a 10 out of 10 film. It might change at some point. I might rewatch it. I might differ a little bit on things. I might go, oh, okay, yeah, that they dropped the ball on this. I don't care. On first viewing, this film is a 10 out of 10 film. So there you go. So that's a 9, a 9, and a 10. So average across the three of us, that's a full 89 verdict for Spider-Man No Way Home. I nearly said far mm-hmm. from home, man. But Spider-Man No Way Home of 9 out of 10. Whew. So if anyone wants to disagree with us and you want to hit us up on social media, you can catch me on Twitter and Facebook at Sky Movies. Neil? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Neil underscore Gaskin. You can also find me on Facebook if you're really clever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Richard, I'm on, uh, I'm on um, Twitter at Richard underscore Roberts, and that's about it. Yeah, and obviously you can get the rest of us at Film89UK on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us on at admin at film89.co.uk. Right, before we wrap the episode up, though, we would just like to give a huge thank you to everyone who gave us such overwhelmingly positive feedback for our last episode, the Fellowship of the Ring episode, episode 73. 
as well as a load of tweets and messages from our listeners praising the episode, we also had tweets from Weather Workshop, the author Ian Nathan, who was the on-set biographer for the Lords of, Lord of the Rings trilogy. He listened to the episode and loved it, but also Mark Odesky himself, one of the trilogy's executive producers, listened to it and put out a tweet praising the episode. So we were just really grateful and humbled by the great response that that episode has had. It almost sounds cheeky at this point to ask, but if you haven't already, all we ask in payment for the content that we're giving you for free is that you give us a positive review, preferably five stars on Apple Podcasts, because that really will help boost our listenership even further and give us further impetus to just give you more of the content that we hope you're all enjoying. So until the next episode, which may either be our last episode of 2021 or our first episode of 2022, it's hard to say these days given how uncertain things are, especially at the moment. We all hope the Santa brings you everything that you want, but until then, please stay safe, but more importantly... With great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) You've got to finish it with stay classy, though. (laughs) Okay, stay classy, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in a glass box of emotion. I just want to start three spider-man. Leave me alone.